Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, welcome to Podcast Winterfellow. It's episode 218 of the podcast this week. We are once again covering spoiler-free news. For the fans of the show that only watch the television show, and we're in the 19th week of our tandem, George R. Martin's A Feast Dance with Dragons. For those of you who are reading the books along, my name is Matt Murdock. I'm from podcastwonderful.com, and that's where you can find back episodes of the podcast, all social media and contact links, and those all-important podcatcher links. And I would love it if you would take the time to leave me a review on iTunes just like the following people who did this past week. Seital Birdsong, um, House Souza, GBUQ77, Angeline Irene, Suki Brar, and H-Vale, all from the U.S. iTunes Store. Thank you very much for your reviews, and that means that you are included in our contest where you can win a set of four Blu-rays or DVDs, your choice. All those who have left a review since the beginning of time are entered into the contest uh, in order to win, potentially win this set, and we will draw them in next week's podcast. So you only have a little less than a week left. Get them by Sunday, your time, wherever you are in the world. No later than that. The, the official deadline is midnight, February 2nd. But that doesn't mean midnight on Monday or on Tuesday. That means midnight on Monday. So be sure to get them in. And good luck to you. And uh, all internationals are included as well. I'll make sure that it gets in your the right region type for your player. So there we go. Um, before we get into our TV-only news, uh, we want to remind you, MBRs, that we are now wrapping up the Season 3 Rewatch podcast. Last week is this coming Saturday. Any feedback needs to also be in by February 2nd if you want me to include it in the feedback episode, which will be airing uh, one week from this coming Saturday. So get that stuff into me. I've already gotten a couple of really good emails, so can't wait to share those with you. In the meantime, after this news, for you folks in the chat who may not be reading the or for anybody who's listening uh, for the TV-only section, don't forget that after the news, we do start talking spoilers, so you'll want to turn the podcast off then if you don't want to be spoiled. There's your last spoiler alert. Um, time to bring on the guests for this evening, or at this point, well, we have both guests now. Uh, time to bring on our guests for this evening, and we'll start off with, once again, the podcaster from the greatest podcast about the greatest king, the Joffrey of Podcasts. We welcome Bubba. How are you, buddy? You know what, Matt? In honor of this NBR news, I won't spoil myself and tell you how I felt about these three great and two boring chapters. Whoops, damn it. I did it again. <laughs> That's right. Five chapters this week, folks. And whoa, bubble up on the 
favorable side. That's kind of <laughs> I don't know how Susan is going to take this, but she's going to join us right now. She's back. Uh, she's had to harbor some wildlings coming in from beyond the wall, a different kind of wall, a wall over there in China. But we welcome her back. Welcome back, Susan. Uh, thank you, Matt. And yes, that big, great wall. Yes, yeah, it's been interesting. Interesting talking to someone who lives there. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And welcome back. Glad you could join us this evening. Let's get into some news, guys. We'll start with the congratulations to Game of Thrones for winning the Screen Actors Guild Award uh, this past Sunday. They won for the Outstanding Action Performance by a Stunt Ensemble in a Comedy or Drama Series. That was the only award that the show won uh, from the Screen Act. They were also up for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor for Peter Dinklage and Outstanding Performance for an Ensemble in a Drama Series. Uh, but despite the fact that there were no other winners. A good portion of the actors were present for the ceremony, including Gwendolyn Christie, Pedro Pascal, Amelia Clark, Nikolai Coster-Waldo, Maisie Williams, Natalie Dormer, and Sophie Turner. So uh, I'm sure you'll see plenty of pics scattered all over the web of, of them showing up because they always seem to make waves whenever they show up at those award shows. Um, so enjoy that. Uh, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation announced the nominations for their 26th annual GLAAD Media Awards. The awards recognize and honor media for the fair, accurate, and inclusive representations of LGBT community and the issues that affect their lives. Thanks to increasing visibility for the LGBT people in media, GLAAD has expanded their nominees from 5 to 10, and Game of Thrones is a beneficiary getting a nod for the Outstanding Drama Series. Um, just a little bit of news about some actors moving on from Game of Thrones after their deaths on screen. Uh, we already told you about Sean Bean, of course, being part of the Frankenstein Chronicles, but the I Prime Drama will, Series will also have an ensemble cast that includes Kate Dickey, known to us Game of Thrones fans, Lady Lysa Aaron, of the veil so uh she'd like a pretty good bride of frankenstein don't you think susan i think she'd be an excellent bride of frankenstein <laughs> as long as there's no baby of frankenstein's app right bubba yeah i thought when you said she played liza aaron of the veil i mean she was all over the veil you know, some of her landed over here, some of her landed over there. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Sean Bean, uh, yeah. if you all don't know, he will be in the upcoming feature film, uh, Jupiter Ascending. I think that hits the theaters on February 6th, so look for that. I got odds on him dying. Uh, has he ever played a character in a major film that he didn't die? I'm kind of thinking... It's hard for me to remember him being in a film that he doesn't die. So uh, look for another good screen death from Sean Bean. Spoiler alert. No, actually, I don't know. Uh, I've, I have no idea what his role is in the film, but look for him in that film. The uh, film looks dead at the box office. Hello, hey. Oh, oh, gosh, man. I would, never would have said that. Actually, I thought this, the uh, the trailer looked pretty cool, but uh, that's just me. Um because uh, who else is in that? Myla Kunis? Is she in that film? She is. As yeah. is Channing Tatum. 
And uh, Eddie, oh. I believe his name's Remain, the guy who plays a uh, young uh, uh, guy in the thing of everything. God, the, the theory of everything. He plays young. Oh, how am I blanking on who he plays young of? Oh, well. Yeah. Academy yeah. nominated. Well, yeah, there. Well, we we spent enough time last fall plugging uh, uh, Natalie Dormer. So it's time to shift gears to Sean Bean, I suppose. Sure. Um, either way, uh, we also told you uh, in a prior podcast of the rumor that Sophie Turner might be playing a young Jean Grey in a future X X Men film, and it seems that uh, Fox and Brian Singer have made their decision, and that Sophie has been officially confirmed as the newest Jean Grey via Singer's Twitter account. X-Men Apocalypse will be a major motion picture with huge box office blockbuster potential, according to everybody who's writing about it. Um, Sophie is joined by singer Alexander Shipp, who will play Storm, and Mudstar Ty Sheridan, who will play Cyclops. I don't follow the X-Men that much. Uh, Glenn Ewing just threw his iPod across the room. Sorry, brother. Uh, I'll try and catch up. But uh, but uh, I'll watch Sophie Turner in a film. Why not? Sure. I'm plugging her on that. Um, something that interesting for you gamers out there, and we all know now that Bubba has about three billion games because he finally got a, a player, and and now he's he's totally hooked. Um, Telltale Games has released a trailer for the second episode of Thrones, uh, a Telltale Games series entitled. The Lost Lords. Um, Telltale's first episode in the six-part episodic game series Iron from Ice was released in December. But according to uh, the trailer that they put out, Lost Lords will be released on various platforms between February 2nd and 5th. So if you're a gamer, uh, look for the second installment. Um, Either of you guys see that trailer? Yeah, I saw it. And I played the first, you know, I did it for you, our listeners. I bought this game. It's very fun. You don't have to be into video games at all to kind of enjoy it because it kind of leads you through everything. Uh, it's really, I think if you like the TV show, go ahead, give these people the money. They did it. They suck you in, and uh, I'm impressed. I, I'll, I'll, I'll go full bore for it. Wow, full bore. That would be at least four out of five Joffreys, right? You know, let's not go crazy. I mean, I didn't. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't yeah. born again after playing the game. I'm just saying it was kind of fun. All right, geez. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Susan, so, do you play video games at all? I don't, but that sounds like a good endorsement. It might be, might be yeah. worth it. Might be. And uh, uh, we've got just a, a few hints of news for you TV fans or TV only listeners, but. Uh, we're not going to say too much about it at this point. First off, um, IMAX uh, did release a promo uh, for what they're going to be screening starting this week in uh, in IMAX theaters across that would be the uh, two episodes, last two episodes from season four, and a season five trailer that will screen as well. They previewed a from that trailer uh, in their promotion for this. It mostly has just shots from season four and season, uh, the last two episodes of season four. But there is one final shot, and I'm not going to say what it is to you folks if you don't want to know. You've probably already seen it. You're probably going, well, it's not that big of a deal. But that's just the way we roll here at Podcast Winterfell. We will talk about it 
in the book section of the podcast if you're really interested at the beginning. Um, but we'll also be talking about some other things that could be potential spoilery, so just be careful about that. Uh, Watchers on the Wall says it is confirmed that Jody May has been cast in a role for season five that is part of a flashback scene that Dave and Dan confirmed a few months ago. We'll tell you more about that role in the book section as well. And finally, uh, a day in the making trailer. Uh, we have some new shots in that trailer for uh, the making of special. Uh, and uh, the trailer came out last week as we were recording. And we'll talk about what we saw in the book section of that cast as well. Susan, any thoughts about any of the news before we let everybody go who are just TV-only people? I don't think anything that we want to discuss before that. Okay. Bubba, any final thoughts on uh, any of the news items, sir? Well, I feel like I just got to repeat what our friend Ruby in the chat room said. People are ready for season five. It's next week, right? No, darn it. It's April. Oh, time <laughs> is moving slow. That's all right. We still got so much book to read. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, just uh, we, we need that time. I know, Bubba. Breathe. Oh, breathe. Boy, and all please of you, let these books end. And all of you TV listeners, uh, take a breather as well. And don't forget the season three. Uh, the final episode of our Season 3 rewatch is next week. Get your feedback in to me. Here's Axel. We'll tell you how. See you next time. Okay, so we're in the books of the podcast. And uh, right off the bat, let's just tell you what chapters we're reading. And if you don't want to know, cover your ears. Cersei 9 from A Feast for Crows. And then everything's A Dance with the Dragons. Brand 3, John 7, Daenerys 6, and the Prince of Winterfell. Before we do the talk about the books, we're going to go back over some of these news items that we briefly touched over in the last uh, section, in the news section. So, uh, the one little shot in the IMAX trailer was basically Tyrion rolling out of a box, and he's got a beard. Now, Bubba, I'm assuming that that's the box that Varys put him in, and it's just, the beard is just an indication that Time has passed, but what do you think? Uh, I think you nailed it. I think what's interesting, though, at least for people who love looking at these spoiler images, uh, his beard is not exactly the golden Lannister beard you would expect. He's got kind of a dark beard. I know people talked about old Jamie having kind of darker hair and darker beard, but he had been rolling around in the mud. Tyrion's been uh, trapped in this box, so we shall have to see what's going on. <laughs> With his non with his non book canon facial hair. <laughs> well, I just you know what uh, we since we read the, those chapters in, in the book here, uh, I'm just assuming that it's wine stain and puke stain. What do you think? That would be the way Evil Uncle Tyrion rolls. We'll have to see. Yeah, right on. <laughs> I am just wondering I... if if he had some just for men in the box. <laughs> <laughs> I like my buddy Al Gamble, who was on the David Letterman show last week. Uh, anyway, because uh, his his hair just never grays, and he's my age, and I've got gray. It's not fair. It's not fair, Al. Uh, Susan, any thoughts about the uh, the IMAX uh, the promo? Uh, are you gonna you're gonna go see the film, right? You're gonna go see the yes. IMAX. Yes, I am. Yes, my son and I are gonna go see it. Um, yeah, just uh, the the just my one comment about that scene with. Um, 
uh, with Terry in is, is I think it's just a fun thing that that's George's homage to uh, to Tolkien with uh, putting the uh, the dwarfs in the barrels and the the Hobbit. Ah, mm-hmm. very you know, interesting. That he yeah, put, put Terry in the barrels. Sounds about right because George likes to just do stuff to his favorite guy anyway. So why not use them to be an homage to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, I mean, he's got to, all that uh, stuff. You know, besides all the historical stuff, he's got all those literary um, things all over, littered all over the books, and it's just fun when you pick up on them. Excellent. All right, good catch. And Watchers on the Wall, of course, confirmed or has seemingly confirmed that Jody May uh, will be cast in a role for season five. And that's from the Maggie the Frog flashback. And from what I understand, Bubba, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but are, they're saying that she is being cast as Maggie the Frog. Is that right? Yeah, apparently. And i got to be honest, you look at the, her uh, headshot, and uh, not quite what I imagine, a little less frog-like than I might have imagined. Uh, seems like a lovely young woman and not the old crone who gets described in that chapter. Yeah, that's the thing that struck me was the seeming uh, age difference from what I expected, although who knows what kind of prosthetics they might put on the girl or whatever. You may not even recognize her from her headshot by the time we see it in season five. But uh, still, uh, it, it took me a little bit by surprise. Maybe she's a maybe she's a great prosthetics actress. What do you think, Susan? <laughs> that's kind of what I thought. They referenced some other work that she had done, and I'm not familiar with her, so you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a we'll glamour. See. It's a glamour. The frog is uh, the mad guy is uh, using to make herself look better. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Who knows? Um, and finally, the day in the making trailer uh, that came from the special, and I know Bubba was already starting to comment comment about some of that stuff in the um, the book section last week, um, but. Uh, there, there are some shots, of course, that are just of the filming crew doing stuff. You've got the first shot, which uh, is, is basically Croatia, uh, when it is, I guess, more or less rolled over from, from Bravos to King's Landing. Um, then you have a, a shot of Danny um, in white in front of a mirror uh, in her... Uh, so that is... Uh, similar to some shots that we've seen of her in, in the bullring scene that was shot in Spain. Now, Bubba, you're assuming that it, it's from the same day, but my question would be, sure. um, in, in these books, we haven't seen it happen yet, but it almost seems imminent that Danny is getting married, and we haven't seen Danny in white much, so is it possible that uh, they, if they do do a wedding or in season five, that they might have it all be on the same day, where she'd basically you know, get married and then go see a bunch of people get in the ring in these yeah, fighting pits. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to have any book spoilers since this is really a podcast about the books, but certainly Daenerys' chapter that we're going to go over today, uh, hopefully as briefly as possible, get to the point, George, hints that a wedding might be in her future since she's talking about wedding dresses and stuff. Very much the case. Uh Susan, any thoughts about uh, Danny's first shot there? No, no. That's a bad. All right. Um, 
Cersei's walking along in the next shot looking very grim. Um, could be a funeral procession that we've seen already. Could be a number of things. Um, or it could just be her just walking past some guards and, and being crazy Cersei. What do you think, Bubba? Well, I, I'm just kind of thinking what type of fate you're expecting Cersei to be giving. She's got a she's got her, uh, you know, fu face, and it seems to be working for her through four seasons. And so let's keep it for season five. She's getting nominated for, uh, you know, uh, excuse me for Emmy. So I say don't if it if it works, keep going. Right on. Any thought about that shot, Sue? Sounds about right. Okay, <laughs> video. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, Benioff and Weiss, then there's a shot of them filming uh, in Seville in Spain. Uh, there's a time lapse of the prepping of the Asuna building, uh, the Asuna bullring, I guess. Um, then there's uh, a shot that I think Bubba would like to comment on, probably the sand, at least a sand snake in action. Yes, I don't want to comment anymore, but if you've been paying attention to slight book changes uh it feels like things are going to happen it feels like the showrunners want to find a way to bring in dorn and also maybe bring it in so uh it would include some characters that the audience already knew as opposed to a whole new setting with characters the audience didn't know and it feels like that's definitely happening happening people get ready for it uh hopefully it'll work yeah hopefully it will work susan any uh reservations about whether it'll work or not uh, I just think I've kind of um, just accepted it already. So, <laughs> uh. yeah. my biggest problem um, is, is leaving out Arion. Yeah, that seems troubling. Yeah, uh, an interior shot uh, for Danny and Missande in Marine. Uh, been filming in the Ireland uh, in Ireland at uh, a quarry. Um, and then another street scene with extras getting ready. Um, scenes from, I'm not exactly sure where this is supposed to be, and this is kind of funny because my first inclination, and I'll go with you on this first season, it, it's a shot of seemingly a bunch of people in, in what we've kind of associated with wildling uh, furs and that kind of thing, storming into a gate. But I'm wondering myself, you know, because a lot of people have said, well, it looks like something at the wall. And I'm wondering if it's actually since th- there's somebody then right after that fighting with somebody kind of at a distance. Um, I was wondering if that might possibly be uh, a shot of Deepwood Mott, which we've already read about. Any thought about that, Susan? No, that's a possibility. Uh, you know, I, I'm not looking at the images right now. So um, I'm trying to do this from memory. And because uh, I, I did look over them a few times, and I think I know what you're talking about, and that, I, I can understand that that might be what you're talking about. That could make yeah. sense. Yeah. Now, Bubba, if uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that was. We do get a shot of, of of two seemingly like key figures clashing swords in the middle of a, of a big area that looks like it's supposed to be the same locale. Um, so with my deep wood Mott instinct, I was wondering if that was maybe Asha Greyjoy, but do you think it's Jon Snow or Asha Greyjoy fighting there? I think from the, uh, from the video, to me, it looks so, the, the one character looks so much like Jon Snow. And it, yeah, just, let me just say, in my 
impression, and admittedly the camera's far away, it looks like Jon Snow fighting a wildling. And uh, without giving much away, I think it's something that the books are going to possibly touch on later. So for okay. anybody watching the, or listening to this, excuse me, who's uh, following along with us in the books and hasn't read ahead, I don't want to say what I honestly think it is, but uh, we're going to finish these books, come hell or high water, or hard home before the end, <laughs> before the next series begins. So I'm going to say, I'm going to hold off and give my thoughts once we get done with the books as to what it is. All right. That's fair enough. Um, the next shot we have is Cersei, like definitely in some kind of morning outfit, I suppose. Um, then we have uh, a shot of a camera following actors running around all panic, seemingly in that same bull ring. Um, any thoughts on those, Susan? I think I'd have to be kind of like with what Bubba said there. I don't know that we're far enough along to talk about what that might be. All right. Bubba, any thoughts on those two shots? <coughs> the one thing I'll say is that, uh, like over a year ago, it feels like, I was on a podcast, Winterfell, and because you hadn't read ahead up to this point, I think it was Ken and our friend Aziz, or the guy from History of Westeros and I, and I predicted that this bull, this bull ring, this one thing, would be episode nine of season five. And I think these are dramatic, incredibly big moments in season five. Is all I'm going to say. That kind of episode nine moment that I expect. Sorry, what was that? I I've got disconnected here. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that I think these shots are from late in the season, and I think these are kind of episode nine type shots from like the big moment of the season. Mm, so hopefully that means there's actually big moments in the books as well, somewhere down the line, right? <laughs> you know um, what? I'm the negative one. I'm going to say three of the five chapters today, let's roll. They're awesome. Two of them, right. George, skip ahead to get an editor. Fair enough. Uh, with that, let's move on to the books. We've got Cersei 9, Bran 3, John 7, Daenerys 6, The Prince of Winterfell. And Bubba, you kind of said it all when you said three of them I liked, two of them I don't. Susan, how about you? How do you feel about these? I feel the same way. So we're probably all going to be kind of on the same page. <laughs> Excellent. That should make for a uh, kind of uh-huh, mm-hmm, I agree kind of podcast. Right. And with that, let's move on to Cersei 9. Upon Rosby's death, Cersei calls for Pycelle and twists his words into evidence to force him into revealing that he has been attending Queen Marjorie regarding Moon Tea and uses the opportunity to seize Rosby's lands and wealth for the realm as well. She then has others for dinner will move very swift to the vacated Rosby position and make Merriweather hand of the king. She also has the blue beer, bard. Pardon me. She also has the blue bard in attendance and openly accuses him of sleeping with Marjorie before sending him to Kyburn's care. While there, she witnesses the extraction of a fashion confession. She then retains and the two points Marjorie's cousin Alla and others named in the order to corroborate with the Blue Bard's confession. Finally, they go to sleep, and Cersei has a nightmare about Tyrion. She tells Tana about Maggie the Frog, 
She eats breakfast with Tommen and then convinces Osney Kettleblack to go along with her plan, giving herself to him. Want to start, Susan? Yes. Okay. Um, well, I, I have to say, I just want to uh, admit right up front that uh, I took my daughter to the airport very, very early this morning, and so I am not as up on all of my notes on all these chapters as I wish I would be, so I'm just going to confess that right off the top. Um, but I do want to say with the Cersei chapter, I just, um, the the torture scenes with, with Kyburn and uh, the, the blue bard, just, um, I, you know, I hate being in Cersei's head, and this is a miserable chapter as far as all that's concerned, so... Um, it, it's not. It was not a chapter I enjoyed. Um, you know, it's uh, Cersei kind of uh, getting to uh, the almost to the worst of her worst here. Let me yeah. speak for those of us who enjoyed the chapter. Okay. I Go thought, and this is this is being tough. This is we're 574 pages into feast for God's sakes, and I thought. Suddenly, stuff is happening, the ball is rolling, and it's rolling fast. Cersei has a plan, and she is moving quick. And I thought this was Cersei at her most manipulative, at her most powerful, and in some ways in her most successful. She wanted a way to take out that younger queen that she's been apparently fearful of her whole life from this Maggie the Frog prophecy. And if she's going to do it through lies and innuendo... It just flat out BS. She's gonna do it. I thought it was great, and I think Marjorie, Marjorie, you don't know what's coming towards you. Well, I I would agree that that Marjorie it probably wouldn't suspect that Cersei's going to all these links. I think that the thing that's most troubling for me is that when as soon as the the word moon tea is brought up, it almost seems like since Cersei doesn't let the guy finish, he says the moon tea four. Uh, you know, Marjorie could have been referring to it as being moon tea for anyone, not necessarily for her. Um, She just totally misunderstood the use of the word for there and then just ran with it and started creating this plan about what is extremely circumstantial. And I I can't help but feel like that, um, you know, any prosecuting attorney would not do that uh, quite so quickly, (laughs) right? Let me say, Matt, you say it's kind of circumstantial. A lot of it is wrong. The blue bard never admits to anything until he has been kyburned up to hell in a handbasket. Pretty much nobody admits to anything. Even Osney is like, uh, no, that didn't happen. And she is, as Mondotori in the chat room just said, Cersei's castle is made out of sand. She doesn't care. Say it. Let's roll. And, uh, Picel turned over. Uh, obviously, you know, you lose an eye and a, couple, a lot of other things. The blue bard turned over. Osney's not a guy you can trust. He turned over. Uh, this is ridiculous. It feels right. like almost none of it's true. It feels like, looking at the evidence, none of it's true. Marjorie isn't drinking moon tea for herself, and she's not fooling around, certainly with these guys in any way. That's that's the impression I definitely get. And not only that, the thing that I found so interesting is is now thinking back to Tyrion's trial in A Storm of Swords and how so many things were taken out of context and all of that. Uh, 
you can see that this is kind of Cersei's kind of methodology for prosecuting someone in the first place, right, Susan? Oh, definitely, definitely. And even with uh, with uh, uh, Tyna Merriweather, you know, her husband is even pretty uh, hesitant about uh, this whole thing. And uh, even though he's going to end up being handed the king at this point, I mean, he's pretty reticent about it. Hand of the king and just a car. Boy, that's a that's mm-hmm. a tough double edged sword, so to speak, to hold. Um, what else we got on this, Bubba? Any uh, or Susan? Either of you thoughts? Well, do you want to do you want to pour one out? R.I.P. Giles Rossby. So pointless a character. Everyone knows he won't be cast in the TV show. Here's to you, <laughs> Giles Rossby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Never got a break. Never got a break. All he did was cough up a lung. Uh, true, but yeah. Cer- Cersei's going through so many thoughts, she thinks of installing Tana Merriweather as hand. I mean, it's just a fleeting thought, which she later says, no, we couldn't do this. But, I mean, are they crazy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she does take advantage of uh, the opportunity for some extra money there. I mean, she quickly, quickly uh, gets uh, Pycelle to uh, come up with some last words for uh, poor old uh, Giles there. Very true. Very true. Well, we can pour one out for Giles. How about we talk just a bit about another guy who doesn't really seem to matter, although a lot's being placed on him, like you said earlier, Bubba. Uh, This Merriweather fellow, uh, Tana's husband, don't you think he's kind of taking a look at the blue beard an awful lot? So if he is perhaps gay, how much more likely is it that Tana's child is a bastard? Yeah, if you have a wife as delicious as Cersei, and these are Cersei POV, keeps describing Tana Merriweather, you would think this guy would be very down with it. But uh, at this rate, uh, we want to know about the uh, the. Tina's quote-unquote lover on the side that with black hair and a scar because uh, she doesn't seem like she's getting any love at home. Sure would seem that way. Susan, what else you got? Um, well, with the, the reference to the to the lover on the side, I, I heard you all, your discussion about that. I, I don't have any particular people in mind, but I do want to just... Uh, Point out that I think that uh, her connection with the uh, uh, with the free cities that you know I, I've seen more connections potentially put out there between her and uh, possibly Barry. That oh, even wow. though she came along with the uh, with the um, uh, the people from High Garden that, you know, her, her background is with the Free Cities, and she talked about knowing powerful people there at one point. So, you know, there may be some connections there that, you know, you don't want to rule out. You know, could she be a, a player for Varys? Well, Varys, uh, admittedly, he doesn't have any dark hair on his head, but we know he's got a scar. Hello. <laughs> Oh. I wasn't talking about it for that position. But. Oh, okay. Whoops. Well, sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's a very interesting prospect. Interesting prospect. Just in terms of allegiances. Excellent. What, do you, no, what else you got? Completely true. Now, Sir Loras, I love this one line. Cersei thinks she's 
she thinks to herself, she goes, Sir Loris still clung to his life, annoyingly. <laughs> she, she wants him to martyr up one time. Yeah. Uh, poor Loris. Poor Loris. He never did anything. What's he, what's he, what's he deserve all this craziness for? Well, once again, uh, I, I think, and I, I tend to believe that he has been injured, but as we've heard, people believe that people believed that Davo Seaworth had lost his head and he hadn't. So is there a chance that Sir Loris is actually completely fine and this is just a ruse? We don't know. We all right. know that we all know that we pay attention to dreams and Cersei has a dreams where she mm-hmm. is in the black cells, chained to the wall, naked, bleeding from her nipples. Ooh. What has Ramsay <laughs> Snow gotten at her? Tyrion is there, and he's more like a monkey than a man. And a part of this makes me think back to the House of the Undying prophecy that Daenerys had way back in the second book. Because in that prophecy, if I remember correctly, there was a beautiful blonde woman, and these people were going at her, uh, I'm trying to say this as politely as I can, as her breasts and her nipples. And is that a vision that Daenerys had in the House of the Undying, and is that Cersei having a similar vision in this dream? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's so, disturbing. <laughs> yeah, that's disturbing. Um, so, does that mean, Baba? You know, you you've been our our big talker of dreams and everything. So, the fact that Danny had it back in that book, and now Cersei's having this. Is this some kind of foreshadowing that we're seeing then? Well, if it is, Cersei's in deep trouble. You know, what's funny is that, remember, in the House of the Undying prophecy, uh, these things were called, these little things that were going at the blonde, beautiful woman uh, had, like, rat faces. And here in Cersei's dream, she dreams of Tyrion being more like a monkey face than a man. So, uh, we're you know, we're going to have to find <laughs> out. It's It's... There's some distur- it's a disturbing thing to think about if true, but you could definitely think some people, uh, some vertically challenged people, would be very upset with Cersei. What has happened after she put this proclamation out for Tyrion's head? Everybody wants her. You know, it, little people are being killed left and right. So I don't know. Is it, if this is a prophecy, Cersei's in deep, deep trouble. Yeah, I agree. What else you got, Susan? Well, there's a whole list of uh, potential uh, lovers for Marjorie and her cousins that are going to get embroiled here with uh, Cersei's plans. All right. Yeah, poor Jalabar Joe. What did he ever do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those red wine twins. Those poor boys, they've just been hostages most of their life, right? Right. Well, they tortured the poor blue bard. Into where into he's eliminating just saying, him, yeah. right? In, into into saying everybody, and then Cersei has to go. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. These people I can't have because I need the arbor and various reasons. And so Cersei <laughs> shapes, shapes his testimony to be completely kind of uh, to her liking, for lack of a better word. Right. Yeah, and 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 can we exclude one of the cousins so that maybe we can get her to turn witness? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was. That was um, the great plan by Tana Merriweather. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. 
Also, I think we, you know, we learned about Maggie the Frog and the prophecy, I think, in the last chapter. And in this chapter, we remember Cersei went and visited Maggie the Frog with this character named Melara, Melara Heatherspoon. And then in this chat, and the Maggie the Frog had said, you know, Melara wasn't going to, uh, you know, worms would have her maidenhood, I think is how it was terribly described. And in this chapter, we we have little visions of Melara where she was in a well with Cersei. And we know she screamed and shouted and drowned. And it's like, huh, okay, well, obviously, uh, her maiden, yeah, it seems like she never got married. So Maggie <laughs> the Frog knew what she was talking about. Well, Maggie also said her death was near her. Right. Right? Malara's yeah. death was near her. Yeah. yeah. Sounds a little suspicious there. Yeah. Also a clarification, a little further clarification of Valencar. I think before exactly it only right. been referred to as brother, and now it is referred to as little brother. So... Um, What's interesting I, is it still keeps many of these possibilities we talked about alive. It, so it says little brother, and you can see how Cersei could definitely focus on Tyrion. But as has been, as we mentioned last time, Jamie came out. Uh, Jamie kind of followed Cersei out of the womb. So technically, Jamie is still Cersei's little brother. Uh, when people are talking about if the Hound was alive on the Quiet Isle, he is quote unquote the little brother. And so. Uh, uh, you're right, Matt. This chapter gives us a tighter definition of the Valencar in that it is little brother in High Valeria, but it still doesn't seemingly rule out any of the people when we were listing, rounding up the usual suspects last time. That's true. We can eliminate the mountain now. Mike will be happy to know that. Yeah. Um, and uh, we can, uh, let's see, who else can we eliminate? We can't really eliminate Loras because he's a little brother to uh, Wyllis, right? That's Willis. true. To, to, in the books here, he's got two older brothers. And so, yeah, Willis That's and right. Garland, I believe, is the other brother. So uh, right. there are a lot of younger, the little brothers out there. And maybe it's, you know, we shall have to see. I since we didn't have... Oh, I was oh. going to say, Susan, since we didn't have you with us last week, uh, do you have an idea or have you uh, lowered your list of names? Well, what what I wanted to point out was the fact that um, Cersei has been um, identified as the older of the two twins because it had been said that, you know, the only reason that she's not, that she wasn't Tywin's heir was because she was a female, but she was born first. So we know that both Jamie and Tyrion are technically her little brothers. Right. right. Ruby in the chat room cracked. Well, the little brother now excludes Theon since he's been turned into a little sister. Now, wait a minute, Ruby. That's oh. oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Rickon is still very much in the running. Exactly. You, he sure is. Technically, Bran is if he's a little brother to the R.I.P. Rob and to our boy Jon Snow. So pretty Even much Jon anybody Snow, you I, could find it. Possibly, yeah. Uh, given given my beliefs on R plus L equals J, I kind of have to I have to not include Jon, I guess, uh, because he's technically not anybody's little brother. Uh, well, he was, uh, he was, he was Rhaegar's, technically he's Rhaegar's, I'm sorry, Aegon's little brother. Oh, if Aegon is true. real Aegon, 
he's technically Aegon's little half brother. That is true. That That's is true. the point. Hmm. All right. Any other thoughts on Cersei, guys? Well, I think that this guy, Osney Kettleblack, what a gentleman. He's got this great pickup line. Guys, that always works at the bars where she's like, I've got something hard for you. And he's got, he's like, and I have something hard for you. What a true <laughs> gentleman. He's willing to go to the wall. What now? To, and he's like, you know, if I'm going to about lie about if we're getting busy with a queen, it helps if there's a little bit of truth in it. And Cersei's willing to go the full, you know, the full mile to to get this guy to lie about young Marjorie Terrell. So, who? Mm. Uh, she's yeah, she's she definitely is. not hanging with the greatest people. And and just you know, handing somebody over to Kyburn like that—that that to me feels a bit like the cruelest thing you could ever do. And Cersei's done it many times now. That's true. Truly. Well, she's. She's definitely committed to her plan. Um, definitely say that. What else you got, Susan? Anything? No, no, just, you know, I mean, you can't blame Osney. I mean, he's really putting himself out there for a lot of things, so at least he needed to get some sort of reward out of it. <laughs> Be better. <laughs> uh, I keep thinking of Gallivant and how good it would actually be to be with the evil queen. Not so much. Um, anyway, at least not according to Gallivant. Yeah. Uh, anything else, guys? No, I thought it was crazy, and I really liked it. <laughs> I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed. Uh, let's, Susan, if there's no objections, let's move on to brand three. Sounds good. All right. Time passes as more whites gather outside the safety of Brands Hill while we confirm who the three-eyed crow is, and he remembers, uh, and Bran remembers names of the children of the forest as they were given to by him and Mira, and sees visions. He receives instructions on warging and visions from Brendan, the three-eyed crow, and a history of warging from and the first men, and more guidance from Jojen on green seeing. He also gets a history of the children of the forest and their future from Leaf. Bran contemplates his future. He talks about. He talks with an upset Mira about Jojen. He then goes through a ritual eating. Where, oh, pardon me. He then goes through a ritual eating werewood paste and afterwards starts having visions from the werewood network in the past, predominantly having visions of his father Ned and going back into the past of the werewood tree at Winterfell. Wow, this, you know. Harold's going to hate me, but this is, was one of the most exciting chapters for me in the read so far, to be perfectly honest. I really love this chapter, and who would have thought it'd be a brand chapter? Um, I want to I wanna start off real quick with the, the biggest talking point for me is that we now know Bran has this power, right? And we know that that time for a tree is more like this one big pool of time as opposed to something linear in a way, and, and Brendan says tells Bran that in time he's uh, he's going to be able to, I, I guess, travel to other trees, not just the one that he's closely binded to. Um, we know from the Ned vision that when Bran speaks uh, while having a vision of these people, that sometimes people notice something going on with, with the werewood tree. And that brings to me this bigger point, uh, traveling back in time. How many times have we heard 
where would leaves rustle and and stuff like that and i'm wondering you know maybe brand doesn't have this power at this point in the book but at some point in his future could he be able to have the power to look back and actually even be able to speak somewhat through the trees um as i think is evidenced in in an upcoming chapter that we'll read this week and looking back um through at clash of kings as baba and i were talking about before the podcast with uh, Arya uh, at Heron Hall. I mean, from her perspective, it sounds like Ned's voice, but it could be a much older Bran. I mean, if Arya looks so much like Lyanna Stark, why couldn't Bran sound so much like Ned? Uh, and was he talking? To, was he the one talking to Arya? And was the, the leaves and all of that him? Um, other times, Game of Thrones, when Bran p- prays for Rob at the Weirwood Tree and, and, and the leaves rustle in the wind so to speak, but I'm wondering if Bran could be maybe even praying to himself at that point. Um, Bubba, you've talked about connections with the, with the, basically the, the presence of possible werewolves on the Iron Islands, and, and we can always look at Sansa and the Godswood. Um, definitely Ned at the Tree, um, when people passed uh, through the mouth of the, how about this, the wall, people passed through the mouth of the secret werewood gate, beneath the wall, and it cried a warm, salty tear. I have to worry that that's maybe a, a, a much further in the future Brand looking back and, and maybe having remorse for having come there. It makes me worry for Brand even that much more. I mean, I've got so many new theories about all of this, all, all of this Weirwood Street tough stuff just because of this chapter alone. And Bubba, shoot me down on all this crap. Save me. No. Matt, let's go. Hell yeah. I always tell this, uh, you know, I've said this so many times, I should just have it be my ringtone. I did not read fantasy before this series. I was, I looked down on fantasy. And now here, we've got Bran hooking up to the Weirwood Network, which uh, Mando Tori in the in the chat room is saying, uh, and Iotrone are joking, Weirwoods use Bluetooth to get going. I mean, this is it. Hell yeah, you're right, this is a great chapter. Uh, it's it's all about you know time moving too, so the very first line in the chapter is the moon was crescent, thin and sharp as the blade of the knife. The very two paragraphs later it's the moon was fat and full. The next page the moon was a black hole in the sky. So like time is moving, but Bran is getting powerful. It's opening up incredible possibilities. I'll just read one here. Mandatory in the chat says, Bran could go back in time and tell himself to stop climbing. <laughs> Save his legs. I mean, you know what's crazy is he could. Uh, and you're right, we're going to have a chapter a little later on where it feels like he's already displaying his powers. I'm like, this is awesome. Let's go. But something maybe if you want to throw some, uh, you know, kind of a caution into this, you know, they're talking about this kind of great abyss there where there's no darkness and light. And they put light in this area, and it kind of the great darkness just won't let it last, you know, wind will blow or something. And I'm just thinking, boy, you know who would hate the great darkness? A, my boy, the Lord of Light, R'hllor. And you know who might love this great darkness? The Great Other. The Three-Eyed Raven says, never fear the darkness, Bran. And that's certainly something they don't preach over at the Lord of Light School. And so is, in that deep abyss, in that darkness that never reaches, is there somewhere that power, the great other, 
that Melis- my girl Melisandre keeps mentioning. And so, yeah, we are getting to some great stuff. You haven't mentioned that the paste tasted of blood. There were red veins going through it. Is it blood magic? So much gets brought up. I don't even know where to start. I'm going in a million directions. Susan, you take it. Let's hear it. This is, this is why we read these books. Okay. I, I'm going to be echoing both of you in terms of the fact of how much I love this chapter. To me, it's like uh, the House of the Undying or uh, the Melisandre chapter. It's just so dense. There's just so much stuff that's going on. And I also think uh, that it's a wonderful example of just how wonderful uh, George Martin is with writing prose. I mean, we were talking uh, the other week, I know Mike was talking about how much he enjoyed his um, discussion of, um, you know, fighting in the, uh, the Victorian chapter about, you know, how well he can describe a fight. And, you know, we can see that he can, uh, he can write things that are, uh, you know, uh, very graphically, you know, violent and, uh, you know, can affect us in a lot of ways. Um, and here he can write things that are just absolutely beautiful. I mean, those first couple of chapters, like you said, are just gorgeous. And, um, you know, here, you know, under the hill, the broken boy sat upon a weirwood throne listening to the whispers in the dark as ravens walked up and down his arms. You will never walk again, the three-eyed crow had promised, but you will fly. I mean, just that's just wonderful. Right. And on to that fact, yeah, I totally agree, Susan, but let's talk about the ravens. Now Bran has learned how to warg into ravens as well. And they're so, human beings still in there. And there right. are still either human beings or possibly children of the forest or, or whatever, because we learned that the, the children of the forest, when they pass, they go into the trees as well, right? Yeah, let's do this, you know? Yeah, yeah. at least You don't want to be spheres. cremated, you want to be treed. Yeah, yeah or definitely. the green spheres. Yeah, so there are so many, uh, there are so many tangents that this could take, which makes you think that is it possible um bubba correct me if i'm wrong on this but doesn't someone tell him i mean we we know that he can go into the trees in the past but doesn't someone in this chapter also i can't remember if it's jojen or brendan but don't they say something to the effect that he can move beyond those trees and i'm wondering if that means in the same timeline in the past yeah, you know, like uh, we don't get an answer, but you're right. The 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 possibilities your mind starts opening up to uh, could be everything. Could be anything, and that's why uh, you know, Susan, when you've brought up all these kinds of things about um, about Mormont's Raven saying things and 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 seemingly being that there's a possibility here that it could be another person who has already warged into that Raven forever. Or is it possible that Bran, uh, a future Bran who has refined his powers, is again traveling back into time, leaping from a tree to Mormont's Raven, or from 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 the Godswood during a uh, during a swearing-in ceremony uh, from the from the Heart Tree Grove or whatever, and and uh, hanging with uh, hanging with Jorah Mormont's Raven and, and saying things like bones, <laughs> right. Right, yeah, it could. Uh, so many times now, you gotta look and see. You know, it could be Bran, or it could even be uh, the Three-Eyed Raven. It could be Blood Raven, you know, Blood Raven, saying some of these things. Could very well be. Could yeah. very well be. 
Yeah. I mean, you talk about Bran, you know, you know, the idea of him being able to go back and warn himself not to, not to, uh, you know, jump and uh, break his legs. But, uh, you know, here again, would he ever want to do that when he gets to the point where, you know, that would exclude him from, from having this. Right. He would that, have would be, that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Bubba says that we should all just wait for George to get to the end of these books and have Raven uh, Brand go back in time and change everything in one fell swoop. Uh, paradoxes be damned. Uh, what? How do you feel about that, Susan? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, he could go back in time. Ned's like they're gonna, you know. Ned was talking to old Catelyn out by the tree. He's like they're gonna offer me the hand to the king position, and the tree could go. <clears throat> I don't think so. Not a good move. <laughs> hey, Catelyn, but, ground your kid so he can't climb. Let's do this. I mean, he could. I'm not saying he should. I'm saying he could. And and these possibilities are great. And let's be honest, Bran is not the sweet innocent kid who got pushed out a window anymore. He's warging into Hodor, wandering through the caves, and even he realizes, he's like, no one must ever know. Through Mm. summer, he's eating human flesh. Right. All those things we learned in the Dance with Dragons prologue, Bran is breaking. All the abominations. All those abominations. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Not yes. good, but let's do it. Let's get powerful. I'm down with this. And how about, <laughs> unlike the TV show, Jojen lives. Not doing too well. You know, he's saying things like, you know, oh, don't worry about Bran. He's not the one that needs to be afraid. And he certainly isn't dropping his catchphrase, today isn't the day I die, uh, like he mm. used to. That is very true. And it makes me wonder, Bubba, about him. Uh, again, I'll go back to that whole uh, when they were passing under the, uh, or when uh, people were passing under the uh, the the wall, and and the and the crying, and I, I'm just wondering, you know, uh, because Brand's really hurt that that uh, Mira and Jojen aren't coming around that much, and and um, Jojen almost seems to, uh, Mira keeps saying he wants to go home, but we know what's outside. There's no way they'll get home. But not um, anytime soon, dear God, though. Yeah. So, I mean, what, you know, is this to say that this is the end of, of, of Joja and Mira in the story? I mean, and I, who knows? Well, what? let's get to something some people are predicting about the end and mention that paste again, that thing that was like acorn paste, but theoretically had the red veins going through We don't see Jojen again after Bran has that delicious paste. And is it blood magic? Did Bran have to eat some of his buddy to open up this power? Because it was after he ate this paste that he could suddenly, totally, start really, you know, hooking up and surfing the net. Yeah. It's an interesting question. It's hard for me to say whether it is literally just the paste and the werewoods are made of blood or the sap is made of blood, or if it is blood from someone recently deceased, because no, neither is neither Jojen nor Mira are present when he tastes the paste, right? 
Yeah, not after it, because we go straight into Vision Quest. Yeah, right on. What do you think, Susan? What are your theories on the paste? Uh, I think it could be a possibility. I mean, the more that you look at uh, the uh, uh, blood uh, sacrifices that that seem to be need to be made, and you know, Jojen, you know, says some pretty uh, pointed things in this chapter. I mean, he talks about when Bran suggests that he could also maybe be a green seer, and he says, you know, no, you know, I was, you know, given the power of green dreams, and it was my role to bring you here. That you know, my my part in this is is done. I fulfilled what I'm supposed to do. So yeah. you wonder what is that? What is that faith that he sees in his green dreams? Because he definitely you know sees one, and and Mira talks about you know. Well, Bran notices that you know while Jojen has recovered somewhat from um, how ill he was during their journey, that. Uh, that uh, he's uh, very melancholy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the whole chapter is filled with disturbing stuff. I want to go to when uh, this, uh, you know, the three-eyed raven, this guy Brendan, was talking. And as the Lord, the Lord's words were accompanied by a faint rustling of wood and leaf and a slight twisting of his head. And I hear that slight twisting of his head, and I think to myself, are these weirwood roots trying to bore into Bran's skull like they bored into the three-eyed raven skull? And I'm like, oh, dear God, what's going on? Mm. Are the weirwood roots trying to go into Bran's brain? I mean, this is this is some uh, this is some deep stuff, and we haven't even talked about these visions yet. We haven't talked about these visions yet, and since you brought them up twice, go for it, Baba. All right. Well, let's just get to it. One of the first things we see is we're pretty sure we're seeing his Lord Father, Ned Eddard Stark. And this quote is very interesting in that Nedard says, Let them grow up close as brothers, with only love between them, and let my lady wife find it in her heart to forgive. Uh, if this is what we think it's about, Ned, uh, she didn't quite find it in her heart to forgive. Hello. So, uh, is this the further proof, the final piece of proof in the R plus L equals J spoiler? What are your thoughts, Matt? Is this Ned saying, let John and my actual son, Rob, grow up as close as brothers with only love between them? Let my lady wife find it in her heart to forgive this bastard child that I'm claiming. What do you think, Matt? Well, You're a big so, R plus L equals J guy. What's that, what's going on here? Well, it's definitely. I I think that this is definitely about John. Um, but the whole way that forgive trails off. What do you put at the end of that? I mean, do you put forgive John? Who do do you put a forgive a person? Do you forget for do you put forgive him for a deception? What 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 do you finish that sentence with when you read it, Bubba? Oh, well, I've never had to be forgiven for anything, so I'm a bit confused. Well, put yourself in the perspective of Ned, I mean, and, and who oh, is really? Ned asking to be for, is asking uh, his lady wife to forgive? Well, that's a great question. I would assume him. You would assume him. But forgive yeah. him for what? Could it just be because he fathered another child? Or could it be because he deceived her? Which is it? 
well, you know what? She's not going to be happy about either, so this is a tough call. <laughs> what do you think, Susan? Um, I think he's saying, you know, forgive him, but I don't know that he's ever expecting to tell her the truth. Because, you know, I think, you know, he had promised to Leanna to uh, keep the secret. So if uh, if that's the case, then I think he wouldn't necessarily expect that uh, Catelyn would ever know that it wasn't his son. Mm. But he's talking to the gods. Why would Ned lie to his own gods? But he's he's not asking the god to forgive him. He's saying let let uh, you know yeah, let my lady Catelyn... wife find it in her heart to forgive. Right. Mm. So she never. Well, what are you truth. getting at, Matt? I'm confused now. What do you What do you think? Well, I'm just saying that it could be for those who are either for or plus RJ. It could be interpreted in two different ways. Um, if if he's saying let his lady wife find it in her heart to forgive him, then you have to ask, forgive him for what? And then you could say that it could still either be for fathering Jon Snow or for or for deceiving you know, everybody, uh, including his wife, uh, to make everybody think that Jon Snow was his. So I don't to me it doesn't really clarify technically anything. Um, but I'm oh, with thanks you. Thanks a lot, the, George. I, but I'm with you in the in the fact that the R plus L equals J theory is is predominantly presented in bits and pieces throughout these books, and so I think that it does uh, point to that myself personally. Well, why would he say let them live as brothers if they weren't brothers? Or well, I guess he says let them grow up close as brothers. But right, if they were brothers, well, I mean it's just tricky. Yeah. Well, they're half-brothers at best. Okay, um, that's a good point. Let them grow up as close as hey bros. <laughs> but I, I see your point. I mean, it could definitely be construed that way. So I totally understand that part of it, to the text, too. Um, then what about his next vision with uh, the the girl that looks like Arya? That's obviously Lyanna. Obviously, you would assume Lyanna Stark and her fighting with her younger brother with wooden swords, and so that feels like Benjen. And so is this Lyanna and Benjen playing and having fun there in, in the in the Godswood? And does that possibly imply that Lyanna and Benjen were close and that Benjen might know the truth of what happened at the tourney at Harrenhal? Mm, very interesting there. I'll tell you what I like most about it is the fact that Liana, just like Arya, uses the word stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you would like that a lot. That's true. (laughs) Uh, So, like that. Uh, What else we got on these visions? Well, the next vision is of a slender, brown-haired girl. Oh, no. Whoops. I'm I'm skipping one. There's a pregnant woman, heavy with child, begging the old gods for a son who would avenge her. All right, what in the world could this be? Who could this be? Do we know who a woman heavy with child would beg the old guards to avenge her? See, that one eludes me. Susan, you have a thought on that? Well, I'm not sure that we know for sure, but I do think that uh, as you go through these different visions that 
it is pretty evident that this is sequentially going back in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have heard some individuals postulate that uh, um, I think uh, Rickard, uh, the their father, was an only child. And so, um, you know, maybe if that woman's, if his father had been killed, Interesting. While while the, you know, while the wife was pregnant, so that would have been like a great grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we know enough about the details of that. I'm not. I'm not sure. That's just that is something that I heard, probably on a history of <laughs> podcast. Right. Yeah. No. That makes that makes sense. It makes sense because it does seem to be kind of just kind of almost in a way generationally going back, and that brings yeah. me in. I want to. I want to talk to you about this next one, Susan, because we've you've, you've hinted at this before in, in conversations before, but a brown-haired, slender girl who kisses the knight as tall as Hodor, Duncan the Tall, perhaps? Right, right, which I think that uh, the you know George has said that the next uh, book in that series is going to take place at Winterfell. So, you know, if... if uh, Duncan Egg were visiting there, then, you know, is there a possibility that we have a Duncan descendant in Hodor? He'd be a, he'd be a few generations, wouldn't he? He'd be at least... Yeah, yeah. Yes, and this woman would have to be pretty tall to just be able to, you know, to just be it on her tiptoes, kiss a tall guy like our boy Dunk. And so who would be really tall? Is it possible? Is it possible that this is old Nan? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she likes to talk that. about Duncan the Tall a lot. Mm-hmm. She does. Yeah, yeah. She tried to convince Bran that was his favorite story, but uh, he said, yeah. no, that was... Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your favorite story. You know, the one about the dude I'm hot for. Hello. Wow. Boy, it's getting all seedy in here at Winterfell, isn't it? Um, what about this sacrifice to the weirwood tree and Bran could taste the blood? So, Bubba, this to me confirms what you've been saying, that you know maybe the sap is blood after all, because it almost seems like the tree is soaking up the blood since Bran can taste it. Oh, yeah. That is definitely what it feels like. You know, we're skipping one, apparently a dark-eyed youth who's making arrows from the weirwood trees. Yeah, the, you know, some of these are just fleeting glimpses, but it suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, it it makes you just, once again, it, it this is the chapter we love. Yes, maybe there's not quote-unquote action in it, but it's the way that we as, as expe- readers and people who experience the book can suddenly start going, now, wait a minute, what is going on here? And the fact that it takes your pl- mind to places like, you know, the birth of Hodor. So we'll see. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And as the tree is shrinking and all the t- trees around it, you know, that gives credence to the fact that this is, you know, going back sequentially. And uh, the idea of that, that sacrifice at the end might possibly lean towards the idea of the you know, something needed to activate, you know, like a 
the blood sacrifice maybe being part of the activation of the heart tree. Creepy. He's remembering the faces of some of these people in the super old vision, and he remembers them from statues in the crypts at Winterfell. Holy smokes, how far back in time is he going? One way back. Well, if he's going back to where the werewood was more or less a sapling, Mm -hmm. it's going way back in time. Um, And I almost kind of got the impression that the... the, uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it didn't seem like there was as much of Winterfell actually there uh, in that last vision. Am I wrong? It's tough to tell, but yeah, it's definitely because, you know, it's a fleeting vision. You know, it's uh, faces war he remembered from statues in the crypt, but they were born, but they were gone before he could put a name to them. Then, as he watched, a bearded man forced a captive down onto his knees before the heart tree. A white-haired woman stepped toward them, making through a drift of dark red leaves, a bronze sickle in her hand. I mean, these things, you know, he, when somebody's about to get killed in his vision, he, he doesn't really describe a, a bunch of other things. Like, oh, and off to the left, there was a lovely fence which prevented people from just wandering in, you know. <laughs> There's no world building in his visions. What's up with that? Come George, on, well, George. George is getting to the point. He's skipping ahead. We love it. <laughs> this is a place where I would like world building. Uh-oh. Not, you know, 57 pages on Volantis's left cobblestone. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, I, I'll just say one other little nitpick that I have here, and then I'll turn it back over to open floor because there's probably still tons more to talk about. But, um, I mean, Bran really needs to catch up because us as readers, we already know that all the Starks have working ability and he's just kind of contemplating that right now. <laughs> is is Bran so conceited? He's the there chosen one amongst the bunch of chosen ones. Right. <laughs> he's he's, he's the, high. He's he's the chosenest one. There we go. <laughs> what else we got? Anything? I think something that's real interesting about these these visions at the end is that this occurred when Bran went back to go to sleep. He wasn't even there in his supposedly training session. I don't know if this was something that was supposed to have happened. You know, I mean, I don't know if if they were were anticipating that Bran would be going through all these continued visions. I mean, it sounded like when he had that first one there – where the, the children had given him the paste to eat, and he was sitting there next to uh, Brendan Rivers, and they discussed what he saw and how he wouldn't be able to really communicate with the people, that they wouldn't know that he was there. That was when Brendan went on to, to discuss that they would hear a, a rustling on the leaves, which we hear so many times. Um, and the, the children that were all there wanting to know what Bran had experienced. It was after that when they took him back to bed and he was, you know, first he was going to try and stay awake to tell Mira and Jojen about his experience that he fell asleep and had all these visions. And I think that's kind of remarkable. There's a line in the chapter two, somewhere in there where he he, he says it just seemed like 
um, sleep and being awake just kind of all melded together. So yeah. I had a hard time determining whether he was actually awake or if he was actually asleep, since he had already, kind of already established that, or it was established in this chapter that he can't even really tell anymore. Well, that's the way it is. I mean, this is, you know, he's new to his, you know, he's had his certain powers for a lot, but now he's new to these powers, and he is just not, you know, maybe you do have to be in the subconscious mind to open up your mind to the freedom of them all. But it's it's just a great chapter. It's just a great kind of expo- exploration of Bran becoming all-powerful. I love it. What else we got on this chapter? Well, I, you know, I burned through a million things. I'm, I'm not sure I have too much. Do you want to, you know, wh- what are your thoughts about Brian going forward? Is he in deep do because he's warging into Hoder and eating flesh? Or is he going to be the one who can truly save the world because he's got such kind of crazy powers? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, Bubba. Here, here's where I am as far as Bran goes. It's like I have to know, <laughs> I have to know whether Relor or the Great Other is the right guy, because <laughs> if 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 the Great Other is not the right guy, and I I concur with your thing about the possibility that the Great Other lies within that darkness. Um, if he's not the good guy in, in the long run of this story, then it's just. It doesn't matter what Bran does; it's it's bad news for him. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, I, I I'm hoping, and and I ask the question myself: is you know, where will Bran be uh, in terms of time the next time we see him, and how much of his powers have progressed? Because this is the potential to answer every question that every reader's ever ha- had in just a few short Bran chapters, right? That's for sure. Or will there even ever be another brand chapter? Are we mm-hmm. supposed to see him through how other people hear him at these weirwood trees? It's in in crows. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, finish the books, George. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, anything else? I do think that. Bran and Brendan Rivers are going to be on the, quote, good side, whatever that is, you know, whatever that looks like. I mean, I I don't know that, you know, I think that there will be things that they will do um, through their powers that might be questionable, um, just like things that we see on the, the lore side are as well. But I really will be very surprised um, especially because, you know, we have, you know, well, we haven't heard that much about Brendan Rivers in, in these books, but in, in ancillary things, even though the man had a kind of a questionable past, I, I think he falls down on the side of the things that he did were, let's say, for the greater good. So I, I would be very surprised if, if in, it ends up that they're really the great evil of some kind. Right. Well, I I just foresee both of these great powers, this great other and and Relore, ending up in a way canceling each other out, and the world moves on past this fantasy realm 
Uh, that's the way I see George resolving everything. What do you think, Bubba? Uh, it, he brought Brand to this place for a reason, and I just hope it's an awesome reason and not a Maronese not reason. Ah, dun dun dun. <laughs> ah, ah. Uh, let's see. What? Anything else, guys? I would like to uh, bring up the fact that we saw a bear in this chapter that I think might be that bear from the pit of the first men still wandering around. And this dead bear. Oh, yeah. it, I, I just thought it was pretty funny. But, you know, there was this little bit about all the, uh, you know, undead creatures that were gathering on top of the hill and that uh, it was even a, a, a raven like that. I First time I noticed that, and then and then the bear, which um, the uh, wolf pack finally you know takes down, and it it finally realizes it's dead once they've uh, like uh, cracked its uh, bones open or something. Mm. Yeah, that. Uh, who would have thought that a bear would make a reappearance from what was that? The prologue of Storm. Yeah, it was during that. Yeah, yeah, that fight. Or it was in the description, you know, uh, not the prologue, but a later chapter of okay, yeah, story. yeah. Sam chapter Sam, maybe yeah. Sam thinks about it, yeah, what they yeah mean. yeah. Um, and I also do think that we got a really interesting description of the children of the forest in here. You know, I mean, we got more about their history and all that. And uh, because this chapter is so dense, I know we could talk so long about it. I won't. I won't belabor the point. But um, you know, it, we got. To, Interesting description about their physical uh, qualities and yeah. things yeah, like that. Yeah, underground river to go get some fish. Good work, Mira. <laughs> <laughs> White blind fish. Um, you know, Leaf, I suppose it is, uh, alludes to the fact that Brendan probably has outlived his usefulness, that he was just waiting on Brand to get there. Will we see Brendan again if we see Bran again? Nah, you know, throw him off the boat like they threw all Maester Raymond off the boat. Make some room <laughs> for the young kids. Oh, you know, that does remind me. Uh, when when we're talking about him, you know, when he talked about the, you know, the uh, brother he hated, the brother he loved, the woman he loved, uh, that goes a little bit into the, the theory that I think I can at least mention now. I don't think this is a spoiler um, in any way, but that, uh, you know, he is potentially Melisandre's father. Go Whoa. further. I haven't heard this before. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard it either. Really? New one? Oh, okay. Well, it's a great theory. Uh, it's one I would recommend going out and, and uh, reading about. But, uh, yeah, uh, this does get into people who have read some of the, you know, the outside materials because uh, it gets into he was one of the great bastards of Aegon the Fourth, the uh, one that was called uh, the Unworthy, and uh, which also was the, you know, the start of the uh, the Blackfire uh, Targaryens came out of that, out of his legitimizing his bastards and one of them uh, being the 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 first one in that line. Well, the brother he probably hated was uh was uh the uh, uh the one who started the gold company, Bittersteel. And then there was uh, another one of them, uh Sierra Seastar, 
was supposed to be one of the most beautiful women in the realm that was also a half-sister, half-Targaryen bastard. And if you get in, there's information that George wrote about her outside of the books that when you read her description and you read Melisandre's description, they are very, very close except for in their coloring. And if he was the father, she may be his albino because you know how light she is and with the red eyes that her hair, uh, you know, obviously could be colored. But um, there are qualities that she could have gotten from him and from her, and they were apparently lovers, these two great Hmm. masters. And so if you read the information, I mean, if you look it up uh, um, on the Internet, anything about uh, uh, Melisandre being uh, the daughter of uh, Brendan Rivers, uh, Blood Raven, you'll come up with it, and it's it's a great theory. There's a mm. lot more detail to it than I'm giving out here. But uh, there's, yeah. there's a uh, lot let of Let me say, I hope that's not true. This world is getting a bit too small with everybody being somebody's secret child. <laughs> well, the interesting yeah. thing about it is how she recognizes him in, her, in that vision. True, she, in, in, the last, she, uh, in her only Melisandre chapter. Right, right, she recognizes him. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think we have kind of questioned sometimes in, in, in prior chapters, either John or Melisandre, that Melisandre seemed to be older than, uh, than def- maybe yeah, we definitely. thought. Yeah, and even her name, her name Mel, uh, there are, now that that uh, large world book has come out, there are, uh, I think, three females that have been identified in Brendan Rivers' uh, bloodline that have the name Mel, like Malara. It's not Malara here that we talked about earlier, but something like that sounds kind of like that. They all Hmm. start with Mel. We're in the rabbit hole now. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, man, theory after theory after theory. Uh, Poor George. He probably just wants to write a story now. I wasn't prepared to discuss all the details on that, but I'll gather them together and and so that in the future you can share what you want of that. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Because we don't want to stray too far into the text outside of what we're reading right now since we do have first-time readers right. uh, along with us um, who may or may not have read Duck and Egg or, or um, some of the other supplementary material. Or I know that a lot of a lot of these theories people say, well, George said in this interview, blah, 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 and they, and they go from there also. And I try to stay right. away from that stuff. I, right. I kind of look into the canon of the text. But, sure. Uh, this, is, this is a pretty solid one. It really is. But, uh, all right. Anything else on Bran? No. But he is in an exciting place, so naturally we have to leave him. Thanks a lot, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's that. There's that uh, it's not exactly falling out a window, but there you go. My, my one of my favorite chapters of the read, definitely. Um, let's move on to John Seven. Despite process, despite protests, John leads a group of recruits to the Heart Tree Grove, north of the Wall, to take vows. On the way, John tells Iron Emmett his plans for the future regarding Manning Castles and potential troubles, uh, or ponders potential troubles. 
When a scout reports wildlings and a giant at the grove, John decides to go anyway. John and his men storm the grove, and Leathers convinces the giant not to fight. The men take their oath, and John returns to the wall with the wildling survivors, two of them dead. Arriving, he receives words from Stannis as to what happened at Deepwood Mott and his plans to attack Roos at Winterfell. John ponders the attack and his sister Arya. He finally remembers his childhood hero and deflates himself by comparison. All right, uh, let's start with you, Bubba. Uh, nothing happened. Next chapter. <laughs> kind of feel the same way. Susan, save us. I really like this chapter. Um, I like it because I like uh, the the um, going out to the Weirwood Grove. Um, I think it's a significant place in this book. Um, again, because of my interest in the the werewolves, and I think that there's some significance to the Night Watch vows in front of them. Um, you know that they took these. Uh, these couple of recruits that they had just gotten out there and the characters that they meet out there, these wildings, including the, um, the giant that they bring back. Um, I like this part of that, uh, you know, they were able to, uh, to use the, uh, the recruit that they had gotten who, who was a wilding, who was able to speak the old tongue and, and you know, convince this this giant that you know he wasn't. They weren't villains. And uh, I think that um, you know there, there's a lot of interesting imagery in here again with the the faces and comparing them with ghosts and and so forth. And these um, wildings that they bring back are potentially going to you know maybe the the uh, the dead ones. John wants to use them as an experiment, maybe see if they'll rise. Put mm-hmm. them in the, the cells for that. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, it's almost like though when Matt described what I would say, the reason why I'm especially tough on the shepherd. Number one, it's following mm-hmm. two great chapters, but I think when Matt right. did the recap, he kind of said all there was to it. I mean, there are mm-hmm. nice little moments, like you said, about how the he re- thinks of how the weirwood trees, the red eyes, kind of match ghosts' red eyes. And it's nice that we find out, for example, that Stannis's army is moving, and John believes there could be a battle at Winterfell. John thinks Stannis has got to get to Winterfell before all this goes down. But I'm mm-hmm. not sure there's the depth of you know that you could kind of plumb as there was in the last chapter. What do you think, Matt? <laughs> Well, there's one line from Stannis' Raven that I'd like to, to pose to you guys where he says, uh, Captains, knights, notable war- warriors, and others of high birth shall be ransomed. Does that indicate to either of you that it's a possibility that Asha could still be alive? Oh, hey. No, I don't care. Right, well, <laughs> but if it were to say that, uh, which I'm assuming we will probably find out at some point in this book one way or the other. Right. Um, I'll just be mad that it's another fake-out death. <laughs> what do you mean? How many fake-out deaths besides the Davos and this one? How many fake-out deaths have there been? Well, let's see. There's, there's the Davos. Tyrion there's Tyrion. 
who knows what's up with Brienne right now? We'll have to find out about that. There's um, there was one other one that I thought of, but I, I mean, there's there's got to be there's got to be a, a, some kind of limit, you know? I mean, it, 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 George's bag is is evidently not nearly as big as I thought it was. If this is listen the case, me, listen to me. My, what you're talking about now, words are wind. Ding! Check, please. Okay. All right. I mean, just a thought. that I thought that that might point to, to the fact that our Asha might still be alive. Um, and, and there's another little mention in there of, of help from the Mormons. The she-bear? Who is that? Yeah, we like that. Well, they're talking about the she bear on who came over and stopped. You know, these when he when Stannis and company took care of Deepwood Mott, uh, a lot of those Ironborn went running for their ships, and the she bear and her team from Bear Island came over and said, uh, "You ain't going this way." And so, pretty much all these people were trapped. It's awesome. Gotcha. All right. I mean, do we know her from any time in the past? I mean, does she have a name? Oh, yeah, I think it's here. Hold on. It's, well, it's certainly we can call her Lady Mormont for right now. But Okay. I'm just trying to figure out her relation to uh, Jor and Jora. An aunt, maybe? Uh, hold on. Let me figure this out. I guess. <laughs> and, and you get um, uh, John contemplating on, uh, you know, did, what if uh, Ruth Bolton never had his sister? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The wedding being some kind of ruse to, to uh-huh. lure Stannis into a trap. I mean, uh, by by what we by what we know uh, in the in a chapter which we'll read this week, uh, John's got it spot on pretty much, doesn't he? Yeah. Okay. So the the woman mentioned in this chapter is Alzane. Alzane. Alizane Mormont, and mm-hmm. she, you know, they, you know, they attack these iron sh- men's longships, off who, were, which were, you know, they are Deepwood Mont. She totally took them, and so the one that you may be thinking about, Matt, that we've heard a lot about is old Daisy Mormont. Daisy Mormont, uh, sadly, was there at, uh, who was in a lot of the earlier books. She was a victim of the Red Wedding. Red Wedding. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and we can we can dis we can discount this one as being the uh, the Mormont who Rob gave the the orders to, right? Right. Yes. Okay. So, um, yet another she bear hanging out there somewhere. Right. That was old Mage Mormont who got this thing where Rob said, "Listen to me. Go up to Jason Malister's place up." And tell them that I want, at Seaguard, and tell them that this is my will. I want John to be my heir. So that's right. Mage Mormon up there. Daisy died at the Red Weddings after she had danced with our boy Rob. And this new one, I'm going to have a hard time. I need Roy Detrice to teach me how to say her name. Her name is Alice Sane. I guess is the way to say it. Alice Sane Mormon. Alice Sane. So that in, in, uh, Dietrich speak, that would be Alizine. 
<laughs> yeah, right, Alazini. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Um Susan, you know, John yeah. seems to be kind of like subconsciously warging in and out a lot in this chapter by the smells and everything, and he even just wonders if he's doing it. Um I mean is this a good thing? Because if he's unaware of it, doesn't that, I mean, from what we understand, you know, the, the, the warging thing uh, leaves you kind of vulnerable to the outside world except for whatever you're in, right? So, I mean, what if he had checked out when the giant attacked? <laughs> yeah, that's a point. That's a good point. Um, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, he, he's experiencing this more and more, and, you know, he he has... He seems to really resist it and not want, you know, he doesn't want to embrace that part of himself, you know, up till now. So, you know, it is, it is troublesome because I think because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I just, I, you know, if it's finding ways to sneak in when he doesn't even want it, um, hopefully it'll sneak in at the right times. That's all I'm hoping, you know, because I like John. So, right. Uh, I don't want anything to happen to the guy for, for oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm a tree over there. Oh, wait, I'm watching myself die. Oh, now I'm part <laughs> of a tree. Um, um, and I do want to, to, to just remind you all, too, about these werewolves. You know, it, it, this big grove is significant and with this, these nine trees, and that's what uh, when we were talking about the, the bloody faces that uh, Melisandre was seeing in, in her vision that I was saying that, you know, that, might be a reference to this grove that some people think may be may play a significant role in the future. Excellent. Yep. Very good. Uh, what else we Skip got? Anything? Ahead. Skip ahead. This chapter can't compare <laughs> to the last one. I'm so bitter. <laughs> uh, and uh, and John John's getting uh, entrepreneurial here. He's looking for ways to uh, make money for the. Uh, for the night's watch, so they're gonna gonna look into making glass. Smart idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Well, they certainly could use. They need good glass, right? Uh, the kind that you get from overseas, and he's got to get money for that glass. He he wants he wants to feed his people. Um, unlike Daenerys, who just kind of wants to just get married, evidently. And with that, Daenerys. Says, <laughs> Danny and her group bring food to the increasing mass of Astapori with the bloody flux and burn their dead, all the while Danny considering the lack of options regarding the refugees. She meets with the Green Grace and Resnick, arguing which premarital customs will be observed. She then meets with her fiancé, Hisdar, where they talk about the ceremony and the problems with making peace with the Yunkai and others who have declared war on her. Then news is brought that Dario has returned, and she calls a council. Dario delivers news that Brown Ben has turned against her and that oh. armies march on Marine with formidable, formidable forces. After she decides to close Marine's gates, she dismisses the council and takes Dario to her chambers to get it on with him. Oh. <laughs> uh, Susan, let's start with you because I feel again pretty much the same way as Bubba does in this chapter. 
Yeah, well, I, I I have to agree, and you know, as much as I have all along told you that I am a fan of Daenerys, and and I am a fan of Daenerys, uh, and I do recognize that there are some chapters in A Dance with that are fairly weak, and I would add this one to that list. So I'm not a big fan of this one this week either. I do think, you know, you know, we go through, you know, what she's trying to do at the beginning is obviously very noble. And it's a very sad situation, which unfortunately, of course, has been brought on a lot by, you know, some of her own actions here. We're dealing with uh, all these uh, poor flux uh, victims here. And uh, there are some interesting facts about, you know, again, would she as a uh, Targaryen uh, maybe have some sort of immunity uh, she seems to feel that she does and uh, you know Barristan doesn't want her to bring the unsullied out there but um, you know they come out and help her and she learns about their uh, god mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. a little interesting bit of their culture something she didn't know about I mean they do seem to have some good rituals as far as you know taking care of them their health and issues, and uh, I do like the fact in some of these chapters that, you know, she still has her Kalsar and people that we don't have in the television show that are there, and uh, I agree. I mean, we've got the the thing going on with the the green grace here and uh, so forth that's you know, she decides she's going to have to go ahead with this, and I think she's just kind of resigned to it all. But uh, then, in spite of it, she wants to uh, she just wants to give in to her desires with uh, <laughs> with good old Dario. Yeah, good old Dario. Oh, Bluebeard! Uh, first of all, yes, George, we all get it. It's hopeless, <laughs> uh, but. Susan, I like your your your, your point about the uh, being resistant to disease because I think that that that's something that um, is a very interesting fact. I mean, after I read it, I thought, well, I mean, she's resistant to fire. What else? Why not be resistant to everything? You know, maybe not to a quarrel to the head or something like that. But I mean, what isn't she resistant to? Um, and uh, Kind of interesting that he's made a little mystery about Grey Worm's god as well, just like you said. And uh, that's pretty much, I mean, Bubba, where do you want to go with this? What, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Brown Ben and, and the betrayals? or? Well, uh, first and foremost, i got to say when Susan said, oh, and we learned some interesting facts about their religion, I went, you and I have different th- definitions of the word interesting. <laughs> Uh, but I guess what I would say is I, I care, let me just go through my notes and you stop me when you uh, are interested. Number one, you know what? Let's give it up to Daenerys. She does mean well. It may not be going well, but she does mean well. My, yes. my second note was the NBRs. They're going to hate spending another year in Marine. <laughs> this place won't ever, you know, can we please leave? But then one of the things I thought was interesting, I'm not sure I have an answer for it. But Masande has this dream of the Astapori scratching at the walls, trying to get in. Is, and is that mm. metaphorical, or, or is there something kind of 
To me, that almost seems like a creepy monster scratching at the walls trying to get in. Uh, my next note was that uh, this marriage just seems like a terrible idea. It's just like they're doing it to do it. It's certainly the definition of a loveless marriage. I think his dog, you know, I, I'm not sure he's good or bad. He seems cool that he's like, listen, you don't have to wash my feet. That's ridiculous. But he is real quick to say, let's just settle with young Kai so we can have some peace. And maybe that's a sign that, number one, it's certainly a sign that he's not right for Daenerys, but maybe it's a sign that maybe he is in with these sons of the heartbeat. Uh, I thought that the fact that they that George wrote Jaquie and Erie were fighting over Ricaro, that was the first time I ever read something where I thought the TV show had influenced him. Because I remember back in season one, before this book came out, they had Erie and Ricaro kind of flirting. And so suddenly this book comes out and they're actually fighting over him. I thought, huh, I wonder if he got influenced that way. Dario, a guy we all love to hate, He's pushing for a Red Wedding-esque event. He's like, you know, with this wedding, you could lure all the noble houses out of their uh, pyramids to the ceremony. And then he never gets to say what he intended to do once he could lure them out. Um, a bunch of Westerosi deserters from the Windblown are mentioned. And we think, huh, wasn't our good boy Frogface Quentin Martell with the Windblown? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just ends with, and this is an honest-to-God note I wrote, and so hopefully everybody disagrees. I hope all our listeners love this, but I wrote, hate Dario, hate, Dario, hate Danny, terrible chapter, <laughs> terrible oh. end. And so, yeah, she, you know, nothing is going right for her. I know we're tough on Cersei a lot because Cersei... Uh, is you know so wrong in so many ways, but it doesn't feel like many things are going right for Danny at all. So uh, somebody tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, one thing that I found positive about this chapter uh, was the fact that with this event of Brown Ben seemingly turning the second sons against her, right? Uh, now we have another betrayal in our midst, right? So it, uh, the thing that keeps happening with Danny chapters is, is, is we always seem to go back. Who are the betrayers? What are the betrayals? What, what is this? What is that? Um, now let's just start the slate clean and let's say that Mary Masdor is for blood. Okay. Uh, and sure. let, now let's say that Brown Ben is for gold because it would seem like, you know, it would be a sellsword company would be bought out. Right. Okay. So, yes. Does this even so is Jorah even a betrayer at this point? Because you would have thought Jorah would have been for gold more or less. Why would he have betrayed her for love? Uh, that that seems totally not right. So should we just, just throw Jorah out of the bathwater? Should I like him again? You should always like my boy Jorah. All right, this is a great sign. This is the best chapter ever if it gets Matt back on Team Jorah, Team Old Man Perv. <laughs> I what don't do think, think that I don't think Jorah is one of those betrayals, and I think that uh, Ben Brown could fit the one for gold. So I would say the one for love is the one that hasn't occurred yet. Right. Okay. Excellent. You know what? I'm back on Team Jorah. All it's right. just as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Bring bring back the perv. Let him bring Tyrion in. <laughs> And, and and he can perv around all he wants. I like him again. He can just be, as long as he's pervy from a distance while Dario and, and Danny are getting it on for whatever uh, yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
only going to complicate this whole situation with his daughter, I can imagine. Well, I think one thing about this scenario is that, you know, you all have mentioned many times that, you know, uh, Daenerys is not remembering who she is, with Quay's always telling her she needs to remember who she is, and, you know, she's just so out of her out of her depth here uh, that, you know, in some of the, the reading, like on that Marinese blot, they talk to some extent about how uh, his star kind of represents peace. You know, he is, she's marrying him for peace. She's wanting peace. And that Dario kind of represents the war and the bloodlust. And that's where, you know, the kind of the Red Wedding, you know, him wanting that type of action kind of comes out. That you can almost balance those two against each other as as representing these extremes that she's kind of struggling between. That's interesting, but what would we rather have for for Danny? I mean, we all well, wanted to go to Westeros, right? Yeah, we do, and and uh, you know, for her to remember who she is, I, you know, I I don't know what that's going to mean for the scenario in the long run. Obviously, her you know trying to take the role of being the mother and trying to work for the betterment of everybody and for peace doesn't seem to be working out for her. So I don't know what that's going to mean in the long run. But uh, I think that, you know, you can see how those things are kind of metaphors for that or could be used in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I definitely agree. Good thought. Well, what else do you have on this chapter, Susan? Because Bubba ran through his notes on Kind of running through mine. I don't have much else to add to it, so I'm happy to move on. Well, do you well, think, uh, you know, do you, you were just talking about peace represented by uh, passionless Hisdar or war yes. represented by sleazy Dario. Right. Which, which way do you want her to go? Uh, I don't necessarily have that answer. That's why it's a quack bar. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have the answer. I don't know what the answer is. I think that's that's part of the problem right now. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but, that, but I, I'm talking preference. Ignore what's right oh. or what's wrong. What do you want to see just as a reader? Well, oh, wait, which one would I rather see her go with? Yeah. Neither one of them. Oh. <laughs> I don't like either one. The one's cold and the other one's pleasy. <laughs> I. I, I want I want her to find the fire and blood back within her, which kind of fuels the the Dario. So I I want something that's almost kind of in between, like you know the, the 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 I I want her to be powerful and and strong and everything, but I want her to not quite go to the extremes that a Dario would, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, if she can find her passion in the for the right thing. You know, I mean, it's that, you know, she doesn't have, it seems like Dario has uh, provides some sort of passion that she is attracted to, but it's not providing her with the right passion or for the right causes. Or... All right, just say it. Women like bad boys. Next. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that thing that you brought up, Bubba, about Missandei having having this dream. And and Danny, in in kind of a, a roundabout way, 
almost expresses, at least to me when I read this, that I, I don't know if it's just she's saying she's having these fears too or if she's actually having the same kind of dreams. Because it almost seemed like they were talking about it in that kind of context um, to me. And again, you know, because I like to jump off the cliff with crackpot and all of this. Um, but is it possible that this might mean that that Missande is is uh, well? I, I guess we've had Cersei have dreams, we've had Jamie have dreams, so perhaps she's not any more gifted. But does this say to us that perhaps Danny has uh, some kind of abilities as well? We. It would feel like, after everything she's been through, you know, going into the funeral pyre, coming out alive with baby dragons, you know, let's give her some powers, too. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. I like I like Danny with powers. And to telling Jorah just to stay at a Gosh. nice distance, but welcome back. Welcome back, Jorah. Welcome back. But just keep your distance while me and Dario do our thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, <laughs> then kick, and then kick Dario out immediately. Please. And... and and, and go with the spirit of what he's saying, but not nearly to the extreme of what he says. How about that? That's a perfect Danny, right? Yeah, yeah. We need we we need a we need a better. He needs a better option. Yeah. We also need a better chapter. So let's move on to the All Prince right. of Winterfell. All right. Yes. Beyond Greyjoy, whose name is actually mentioned in the chapter, reluctantly convinces Jane to play the role of Arya Stark and then gives her away during the wedding ceremony. After the ceremony, while still in the Godswood, Dion hears his name whispered as soft as rustling leaves. He surveys the ruins and remembers what has been repaired and how, and how they've been repaired since the Boltons have came. He remembers his youth there and his last days there as ruler. Theon enters the reception, disgusting most... Oh, uh, Theon enters, then enters the reception, causing disgust among most of the other guests, and here, Roos's toast promises to kill Stannis. The meal is punctuated by three great meat pies presented by Wyman Manderley in person. Theon and Lady Dustin discuss Manderley, Roos, and Maesters. Roos then calls a council after news arrives about Stannis. Theon is once again made to be reek by forced, being forced to bring Jane to Ramsay's bed. He gives a thought to killing Ramsay, but instead obeys Ramsay's orders to participate in the warming up of the consummation of a marriage. Um, well, let's just go out and say it. We've been alluding to it since the branch after. Theon, a voice seemed to whisper. A voice as faint as rustling leaves, as cold as hate. Gotta be Bran, right? It's just gotta be Bran. Gotta be. And I was going to say, Theon thinks back to getting busy in the God's Wood, and I thought to myself, hasn't Bran suffered enough? But yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bran is developing his strength in all sorts of ways, and part of his strength is he's not just rustling weave leaves anymore, excuse me. He's totally being able to call out people's names. This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And and I see Bran everywhere in this chapter. The trees were full of ravens. Now, Theon thinks it's like Maester Lewin's ravens, um, but uh, there's one uh, in the branches overhead, a raven corked. I just keep thinking that's Bran. 
Uh, and the werewood tree uh, seems like it's laughing to be on. I keep thinking that's brand. You know, I just keep seeing brand, brand, brand. You know, um, somewhere in the Godswood at the end of the chapter, a raven screams. It's got to be brand. I'm just seeing brand all over the place now. Am I freaking out or do I have any validity in any of this? No, you've got a, a lot of validity. And as we know, brand might be developing a thousand eyes in one. Ooh, yes. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Sorry, I went off on that little rant, but uh, who wants to pick up? Well, I just want to pick up on what a fun chapter this is, including, and this sounds weird to say, that just hideous ending. And one of the reasons why I like the hideous ending of Reek having to perform uh, services in this uh, wedding night, uh, you know, consummation, was how it shocked me and disgusted me. And this sounds crazy. I was glad that Martin could still shock me. After this, you know, we've read over a thousand pages in this combined uh, tandem read here. And it's fun to still be shocked, even if it's a disgusting, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever heard shock. Let me also say that there are two things that happen in this chapter that on a reread stand out like, you know, just ridiculous red flashing lights going ding, ding, ding. But I have to be honest, I missed both of them when I on the first read. So I don't know how I should handle them other than to say that when Abel turned up at the gate with loot and six women, uh, you know, I have to be honest, on first read, I didn't, it didn't stand out in any way. And also this delicious dinner, I have to be honest, the first time I read it, I completely missed it. These wonderful, great wedding pies. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, um, there is a John chapter, right. or was it a Melisandre? It was a Melisandre chapter or a John chapter? I cannot remember now. Melisandre chapter, uh, where uh, a certain singer that we know uh, said he would require six women, and he was up at the wall at the time, right? Yes, you're speaking of Mance Raider. Dun, dun, dun. Who has yes, even I am. claimed to come to Winterfell in the past, posing as a singer when King Robert showed up at Winterfell back in the first book. Yes. Only crew to fool. And there are six singers here, or six women with him, correct, in this chapter? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sounds about to right honest, to me. On first read, I completely missed that Abel, the singer, and the six women were po- were our boy Mance Raider and the Six Spear Wise. Really great work, George. But then also, do we want to get to it? These great, delicious pies. Wide as wagon wheels, Mantherly serves the first portion to Roos and his fat fray wife. Next, he serves the next pit to Aenys and Hostine Frey. And he tells them, it's the best pie you've ever eaten. Save for every bite, I know I shall. Um, mm. I totally missed it, even after, later, Manderley calls the singers to sing a song about the rat cook. Yeah, at the end, he calls them, he calls them to sing about the rat cook. And it's interesting that he's serving it to people who were involved with the Red Wedding. And he's enjoying it. And, well, he's, he, <laughs> he eats six pieces himself, two from each yep. pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. He gets pretty drunk at the end too. 
Uh, and so I totally missed it, and I guess it's it's okay to just go ahead and say that well, it's interesting I, that there are three great wedding pies. Okay, sorry, are you going to cut me off here, Matt? No, I'm not going to cut you off. I'm I'm just going to say, yeah, they're 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 huge pies, right? Yep. Um, Manderley's taking great pleasure in serving them and enjoying them himself. Uh, he's serving them to in a particular direction, and. How many frays were traveling with Wyman Vanderley when he left White Harbor and well, went ahead exactly and have been it. missing? Yes, the three frays who were back in that Davos chapter, who in a previous uh, Ramsey and Roos chapter we found out were missing after they after Wyman allowed them to you know ride ahead because he was too slow. Is it possible that after he said go ahead and ride ahead and they were no longer his guests and stuff? and had to worry about guest rights, that old Wyman decided, you know, I don't have a lot of meat to put in these great pies I'm going to make. What if I made some delicious fray pies? Is this not the greatest thing ever? He's calling <laughs> them to sing a song about the rat cook, which we learned in past books. is about a guy who fed the king his own dead son. Wyman Manderley, if he's not in the TV show, let's storm the castle this is the greatest moment, uh, the greatest revenge ever. <laughs> I agree. It, it goes perfectly when Lady Dustin keeps telling uh, Theon Turncloak, ah, you know, Manderly, he's craven. He had, he had his son die at the Red Wedding and look at him st- still here being a wimp. And yet, <laughs> uh, he's not being a wimp at all. He's serving the phrase, their dead relatives in a pie. This is awesome. Revenge. That's so disturbing, though. I mean, that's the worst. It's that's no better than anybody else's bad, bad thing. That's you want the phrase to pay, right, Matt? They are pay. <laughs> they're, they're they're being they're, yeah. They're being evidently diced up and and added. It's it, what really disturbs me is it's just just kind of described as pork, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah it tastes like pork. Better than tastes like chicken, I guess. That would have been a total tip-off, right? Um, what you, now, Susan, I know you're a huge Wyman uh, Manderley fan, so I'll let you uh, say anything else on Manderley that you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of hoping your friend Mike would be here since he was seems you know was reading along. This is all new material to him in the in past past few. Uh, uh, episodes, uh, I was really curious what his take was going to be on this. Uh, yeah. But um, I I didn't pick up on it the first time either, but uh, you know, I'm one of those dummies that uh, doesn't get the stuff till two or three read-throughs and reading everybody else's opinions and so forth. So, um, you know, but, but when you do know it, then it does make it that much more funny. And um, I think it's great because here we have someone who is as an orc man, very um, very attuned to the whole guest rights issue, which of course was one of the important things about the Red Wedding. Um, and he is really just skirting the rules around it <laughs> because, you know, he's not really, but, but, but he's, the way that he brought all these truckloads of food along with him allows him to not necessarily be claiming guest rights there at Winterfell either, because he's able to feed himself and all his men 
that are there, so they're not having to put themselves under the guest rights of uh, the bulletin. So, you know, he, he played around with those rules with the phrase in terms of he made sure that they were no longer guests of his before he committed the, these crimes, and mm-hmm. he is not, you know, becoming a guest here either. So I think it's really, really funny how he's getting away with all that. Well, let's hear it, Matt. Did you catch it the first time? No, I didn't. In fact, uh, I hadn't even really thought about it until me and you and Ken from Crippled Bastards and Broken Things talked about it in our um, in our kind of recap of of my first read of it. Um, I still i I hadn't looked at it. I hadn't thought anything more of it. And then you guys said that, and I'm like, oh my gosh! And I went back and I and I read this chapter and uh, a, a subsequent chapter, and and uh, and then I was like. It, it is there. It is all, you know, it is as plain as day if if you're looking for it. If you're not looking for it, though, I think uh, it's pretty easy to go over your head, right? Oh, I do, too. I do, too. He doesn't mention those missing phrases at all in this chapter. And, he, he, you know, it's kind of, how do I say it? We know that Manderley, as a reader, you know Manderley is not down with these people. But because he had already said it was an all an act that you could just were willing to accept. Well, okay, maybe this is an act. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I I feel terrible that I missed it. I'm upset I missed it. But I'm one of those people too. I was just reading more and more and more. Give me what's happening next. And I was going a bit too fast through it to truly appreciate this great moment. Anybody hey, else? You know, oh, go ahead, Susan. Uh, I was going to say, you know, this man has has plenty more plans for these people. Mm. Well, I, you know what? If I was Wyman Manderley right now at this point, I'd be thinking, oh, man, if they find this out, i got to figure out how to get out of here alive. Well, is, he, is yeah, great question. Is he on a suicide mission? That's, that's what I was just going to say. He may not care. He may be like, uh, you know, some of those Northmen are saying, you know, who are willing to, to uh, you know, go along with Stannis. You know, they, you know they're they're in for it. Yeah, possibly so. Possibly so. Anybody else think that Lady Dustin is like the most paranoid woman you've ever met? Well, how so? <laughs> just because she just because she doesn't trust anybody, and that she even calls the Maesters, who up until this point have seemingly been a, a okay lot from a most people's perspective, she calls them the little gray rats. What's mm-hmm. her deal? And she just like she thinks that Maesters are running everything. She doesn't like anybody. She's, you know, I don't even know why she's, uh, I mean, I guess because Ruth gave her Theon, but then I guess Ramsey kind of took Reek back. So what what's going on there? It's just like, it all just seems a, a little weird to me. Not liking Lady Dustin much at all. Right. Well, she seems, you know, she, one of the things she says is, you know, these maesters are terrible. She goes, Old Town maesters are the worst, and that's where our boy Sam is headed to. Mm-hmm. That's and very she interesting. she says that it, that it was the maesters who planned the marriage of Ned's older brother, Brendan Stark, to Catelyn Tully. And so what, what's she going on about there? This is... Uh, it's It's very interesting. I call her one of these old lady characters, a bit like... Uh, the old uh, Jamie's aunt, Jenna, that he's been dealing with. Uh, And I think they're actually kind of fascinating, but yeah, she is not trustworthy at all. 
she grows on me. Yeah. I think that I, I, I liked her more at the beginning of, well, at the beginning of their conversation than I did by the end, but we'll have to see, uh, you know, obviously she's still going to be around for a bit. So, um, I don't know. Well, Final. will 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 poor Jane rhymes with pain pool be around for a bit because she's got to keep up an act that she's going to have trouble keeping up. It sounds like she has to keep pretending to be Arya Stark when she was the one who came up with a, call, a nickname to call Arya Horseface. Apparently, yeah, and not only that, but I mean, the only person that's helping support her in that is <laughs> Reek. Or Theon, or whatever you want to call him right now. I mean, that's not much of a pillar to lean on, is it? Not at all. Especially, especially if by the end of the chapter he's willing to do what Ramsay asks of him. That is yeah, it's terribly disturbing. And I'm glad that you were you were pleasantly surprised by the fact that you could be disturbed. I, on the other hand, was uh, unpleasantly disgusted and just had to uh, try and eliminate those last few paragraphs out of my mind. Yeah, and, is, and concentrate on the rest of the chapter. It yeah. is hideous what is happening to poor Jane Poole. Yeah, this uh, this I mean that that's the thing. This chapter has uh, these uh, you know <laughs> these things that we all find you know very uh, you know we get a kick out of with the Frey Pies and so forth, but then it has those horrors in it as well. So it's you know it's very emotionally up and down chapter. I True, found... but, but the villains are, what I think he's doing is he's making the villains just the most hate-worthy, bat, not that they weren't already, but I mean, Bruce Bolton telling the squatters that if they served well, he would be merciful, and of course, once the work's done, they were hanged mercifully. You know, if the reader didn't already hate Bruce and hate the phrase and hate Ramsey, uh, it's just getting piled on, you know, molasses thick. Definitely, definitely. You know, in the beginning, I was really feeling for uh, you know Theon when he was uh, you know getting ready for the wedding, and he's he's talking about how uh, you know his his hair is white and his skin is gray. He's finally a, a you know finally a Stark, and uh, <laughs> you know, then then when he's uh, you know thinking about the fact that uh, you know, he's praying to the gods, but who are his gods? His gods should be the sea gods. Here he is, and he's just so confused and and you know so lost. And um, you know, I agree there. And that with uh, Bran, that's just amazing. That you know, here he seems to be going so much further than they'd even told him he was going to be capable of going so quickly, and, and actually be able to communicate like that. Well, see, that's the thing. That that's where that's where I I, I question the whole thing about Bran. I'm not so sure that we're not seeing a much further older Bran, which makes me worry for Bran even more. Um, because this time thing is a pool, and he, his first experience that we read in his chapter didn't have anything about this in it, right? So it tells me that this is further down the line for him, and who knows how much time has passed between uh, what we see him experience in his chapter and when he finally decides to do this and can still reach back in time. Um, that's true. So that's, that's, what, that's what makes it even that much more interesting to me, and what makes the whole thing about um Hall with Arya so much more interesting because now it seems you know with Arya she again she thinks it's her father she thinks it's her father's voice and I'm just sitting there thinking well 
brand grows a few years older, who's to say he wouldn't sound exactly like his dad? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, 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 I just wonder, you know, how how old Bran is at the point that he's reaching back to Theon, you know? Mm-hmm. And another thing with Theon, I think that, you know, with the end of this chapter, this is the chapter that if people didn't know before, I think they got the confirmation that Theon had been actually castrated by by Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, I don't... The, show, the show made it quite clear, but here in the books, there there were enough signs that I think it was obvious. Yeah, yeah. This this is a, you know, even from his own words, you know, this is definitely a, a final confirmation. You don't need any more confirmation after this. You're absolutely right, Susan. Um, anything else on this uh, chapter, guys? Well, it, it I have said throughout this book, read that this is the storyline that uh, of them all I enjoyed the most. And once again, I'd just like to kind of rehash where we are here. We've got a bunch of people in this kind of shell of Winterfell, many of them hate each other, the, and uh, it's just a and Stannis marching towards them. You know, let's talk about that. So there is a, it, it's a great uh, boiling kettle, and uh, that's what I like. That's what I go to these books for. It, it, things are happening. This wedding, as in, as just truly horrific and appalling as it was, uh, you know, it's just going, and so uh, I, I'm ready for it to roll. Absolutely, absolutely. And just to put it in perspective of, of the tandem read in general, uh, we still have eight weeks left, so that's 40 chapters. Uh, we've done the last two, three weeks with five chapters, so that's 15 chapters. And then, uh, what, another 14 or 15 weeks of of four chapters. So technically, I guess we're just a little over... Well, we're getting right around the two-thirds mark of the book of the books, I guess, right? Combined. It's a tough call. Like I said, we we've read over a, a thousand pages worth of book, and so it it I haven't added them together to see what the true total is. So. Yeah, but you would expect if things aren't going to pick up now, they're not going <laughs> to pick up ever. They're right? never going to pick up. That's right. So very good. Um, Susan, why don't you start us off with ranking these chapters in the order you like them? Uh, sure. I'm going to definitely say uh, Bran, and uh, then this one here, The Prince, and um, then I'll actually go to John's chapter, and then um, Cersei and Daenerys. How about you, Bubba? Well, I don't want to say I'm going to do the exact same, but I, I, I'm, I'm very close. Let's put it that way. I think you got to go brand number one. It was we've been on a journey after he left uh, Winterfell at the end of the second book, so we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for him to get to this place, and now he's got to this place, and it's paying off. So I'm going to go brand one. I'm going to go the uh, Prince of Winterfell two. Really love it. Really disturbing. Love the fray pie. Love Mance being there. This is going to be, uh, like I said, it's a, co- a kettle bo- about to boil over. Going to go Cersei three. Her craziness. Her scheming. It's so, uh, you know, it's so evil. It's actually kind of fun to read. I'm going to go Daenerys <laughs> next though. And for me, John, he got a giant. 
and uh, he got some corpses. We'll have to see what he does with them. But otherwise, it was just like a, a, a you know, not it, once again, it felt like George never used to have chapters like this, where it's like these things happened, end. And so I'm putting John last. Interesting. All right. Well, I am going brand one. I, I, we're all pretty much in agreement with that. Um, the Prince of Winterfell, too. Um, those, two, to me, were the two meatiest chapters, especially the way that they connected. Um, then I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Cersei three. Um, then John, and then Danny, uh, and that's my uh, ranking for the week. Uh, pretty much reasons stating for or against any of the chapters, as they've already been stated, are good enough for me. Um, feedback is next. And just one email this week, guys. We'll be out of here quick. Um, and also because I am truncating this email quite a bit, um, Harold had written in, uh, our buddy Harold had written in uh, with a, uh, a very, uh, I guess, comprehensive look at the lines of secession because it's, it's something that he does very good. Uh, uh, being a lawyer and all, he, he, he's got experience with that. But rather than me try to communicate it orally, I think it's better if our readers uh, read it or our listeners read it themselves. And it's at the website uh, under the heading, an email from Harold. It's in the main feed. You can, you can read it that way. Um, that, and it's also cut off with a spoiler line so that uh, those who are just TV-only viewers, if you're viewing over the website uh, or if they are viewing over the website, they, they won't be spoiled by any, any of the conclusions that Harold draws. Um, because it was kind of actually specifically for Mike. And uh, since Mike couldn't be with us tonight because of the snowstorm that's happening on the East Coast, and we hope that Mike's doing all right, um, because he couldn't be here, I'm, I'm just going to skip over that part. But I am going to go uh, to some points that Harold made in response to us last week. First of all, let me set the record straight. I have listened to every single episode of the Joffrey podcast, right. and I once even left them a five-star review. The only kind the way, you could give. Yeah. By the way, I would encourage all my fellow listeners to do the same for both the Joffrey Podcast and Podcast Winterfell. Finally. However, I was what? promised rich rewards, quote unquote, and I didn't even get a lousy Joffrey of Podcast t shirt. Oh. And I would have read the Joffrey POVs, but they were supposed to be in the quote unquote rich rewards package that I never received. Oh, <laughs> Bubba. Oh, what's going on there? You know what? Just like His Grace, King Joffrey, prizes go to those who don't ask and sit there silently and say nothing but Joffrey is great. Harold, you, you, you are uh, number one the best. Your feedback is the absolute best. But because one time you didn't say Joffrey is great, you're the worst. Off with his head. <laughs> Now, yes. the un- the unstraightening continues, Bubba. Uh oh. Uh, and and you and I have even, we've we've had a little joke over this over over Twitter in our DMs. But this is what he says. By the okay. way, who is this user on iTunes? Some guy with the handle Fit and Trim who had the audacity to give the amazing podcast Winterfell only two stars. Geesh. And they say I'm tough critic. Now wait a minute, Harold. Let me correct you here. He did only give it two stars, but in his title of his review. Our good friend Bubba here 
a.k.a. Fit and Trim, says seven stars for the podcast is basically what he says in the, in the title. So what I took it to mean was Bubba just – he started to fill up five stars. He ran out. He had to go back to one and two. Is that not right, Bubba? That's the fair way to do that. That is the Joffrey way of giving seven stars is to go through the five, but then, wait, there's two more that have to be given, so then you just end with the two, correct? You know what? Just for that, let me switch this to a one-star review real quick. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it makes perfect sense to me. Two perfect stars. sense. Exactly it makes perfect right. sense. Your, your unstraightening is unfounded, and we have now straightened the record straight. And I'm I, sure that... I introne in the chat room pointed out that jo- King Joffrey's text is five stars, so come on. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so uh, now uh, he did go on to say, let me get to the heart of the email because I'm off to initiate the Bring Back Weekly Bastards letter writing campaign uh, and that is the Lines of Successions post that you all can find at the website. Again, podcastwinterfellow.com if you want to read it. But he has another fun little game for us here. All right. Uh, so this, this shall be fun. Easy rule. Simply tell me who wins in a fight to the death between the two combatants I list. Assume that each combatant is healthy and alive and that it is a fair fight with equal weapons and armor, no outside interference, and magic is not a factor. So here we go. Um, our our battles are between uh, four sets of contestants. We have Victorian versus Ned Stark. We have Asha Greyjoy versus Brienne. We have Maester Aemon versus Walder Frey. And we have Hot Pie versus Samwell. This is going to be some great blood battles here. Susan, you first. Victorian or Ned Stark? <laughs> Who wins? Who wins? What is, what is it that they're doing? They're in a they're in a in battle, battle to the death. Battle to the death. Victorian and Ned Stark. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> Victorian. Ah. How about you, Bubba? Yeah, are you kidding me? Give me Victorian. He does. You know, he's wearing armor while he's on a boat. He's a badass. <laughs> Bastard. Bastard, let's keep saying that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh we've got we've got uh we've got a winner by majority of Victorian and I don't even need to vote, which is great. I'm like not having to vote. But I would have said Ned Stark. Um because that's how I roll. All right, Bubba, you get to start the next one. Asha Greyjoy versus Brienne. Oh boy. Can I say, as a, if I had to watch that, I would kill myself? Boring characters. Okay, so you've declared yourself a loser, but who? Yes, trust me. The reader is a looter, loser every time these two get chapters. Uh-huh. I, will say, I will say, I'll give it up to Brienne because she has got the size advantage. She's got the reach. Let's give it up to her. And I don't mean the reach, the area where the Tyrells rule. I mean, she's taller. Right on. So Brienne wins it for Bubba. How about for you, Susan? Taller and stronger. Yes, Brienne. Brienne. So once again, we already have a majority. And uh, I'm going to say that Asha could duck under that long reach and get at Brienne. So I'm, I'm, I'm the dissenter in these votes so far. Oh, the best one. The absolute yeah. best one. Here it is. 
Susan, you get to pick first. Maester Eamon or Walder Frey? Master Eamon. Um, I'm going to give it to Master Eamon. I'm going to give it to him. You oh, know, I, I, yeah, because, I mean, you know, he might be blind, but, you know, he's a Targaryen. He's probably got some extra senses going on there. <laughs> and Walder Frey, I don't know if he can get out of his seat. <laughs> How about you, Bubba? Give me a break, Walder Frey. He's not blind. He he's he's ornery. You know he's he's like imagine Nick Nolte coming at you. You know <laughs> he's he's he just all he'd have to do is put out some drool and Maester Eamon would drown. Oh. Walder Frey. Uh. Here, here's what I got on this one. We've got a tie. We've got a tie. So I got to pick someone. But uh, his rules are that it is a fair fight with equal weapons and armor, no outside interference, and magic is not a factor. Well, the out, no outside uh, interference definitely uh, makes you think that Walder Frey is not going to do as well as he might. Uh, but on the other hand, equal weapons and armor makes me think that Maester Aemon is just going to fall to the ground under the weight of it all. Uh, anyway, and the fact that he's blind, he's not going to see Walder Frey's uh, equal weapon come at him. So, got to go with Walder Frey on this one. Sorry. Uh, uh, and maybe one of the most intriguing matches of the four, Hot Pie versus Samwell. Bubba, go. Boy, you know what? Hot Pie never made me read one of his POV chapters. So, he certainly got the... Uh, emotional advantage. You know, he's got my backing loud and clear. Uh, Sam is a craven, so unless Hot Pie is, you know, doing something to Gilly, Sam won't have the guts to take him on. Give it up for the HP. His royal pineness, Hot Pie. <laughs> okay, what do you got, Susan? Uh, as much as I love Sam, and I do love Sam, I'm afraid I actually am following... <laughs> of his logic there. Yeah, I'm afraid that, it, it, you know, Sam would have to be, there would have to be uh, extenuating circumstances to get Sam riled up enough to do something. All right, so a unanimous, or uh, I'm sorry, a majority vote for Hot Pie. I actually have to dissent in this way. Um, I think they both are going to see each other and run the other way, and both will die because uh, they're... Uh, the the uh, the people who run the tournament will say no, you, you can't do that, you know. So they're, they're both just going to end up dead. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you, Harold, for the email. Thank you for thank the fun you, game. Yeah, yeah, that was a definitely a fun game. And thanks to you, Susan, for joining us and coming back. Uh, I know it's an extremely late night for you, given where you are in the world and and. Uh, It'll be the fact that we've had to start our recordings later for the next couple of weeks. But uh, thank you. How can people find you on uh, the interwebs in order to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, please? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Black Eyed Lily. And uh, I do have to make uh, one slight correction in, in uh, your, uh, I think, one of your latest uh, uh, edits. I saw you had uh, referenced me as an expert. <laughs> um, as long as ice and fire, and I have to say, I'm just a good old fan here, and um, so I, I can't claim that expert title. So I want to want to 
just mirror on that. But uh, I'm at Black Eyed Lily, and I um, am always happy to people happy to talk to people about uh, this series. Uh, really enjoy it. Oh, boo! I try to pump you up, and you bring me down. Uh, it's not like I've not misled listeners before, though. Uh, that's all I'll say. No, uh, I I consider you an expert. So there. Speak uh, someone who is an expert at talking and uh, about uh, talking about how Tyrion doesn't measure up. Of course, is Bubba from the Joffrey of Podcast. How can people talk to you about a Song of Ice and Fire, sir? Well, let me say it's very odd following an expert like Susan, but I'm always glad to do it. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to our people in the chat room, Mandatory, Ruby, and our and the greatest Game of Thrones fan ever, Iron Trone. People, you can tell me that I'm wrong about these great chapters about Daenerys and John. You, the way you do it is you write me on Twitter at Fit and Trim. That's F I T T E N T R I M at Fit and Trim on Twitter. Give me a two star review. Back to you, Matt. <laughs> that would be a seven star review. Finally. A seven- our review. Just uh, making sure that we uh, straighten out those unstraighteners, Harold. Uh, that's it for this week, guys. Next week, we're all in a dance with dragons once again. We're not going back to a feast for crows until a uh, week after this coming week. So, The Watcher, John 8, Tyrion 9, The Turncloak, and The King's Prize, all from a dance with dragons next week. And remember that each week's reading material can be found at the 2014 and Beyond tab at podcastwinterfell.com. Feedback on these chapters that we've been talking about or the podcast or chapters that we will talk about next week is always welcome. And here's Axel Foley to tell you how to submit that feedback. We'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.